I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom, master of the community call, Bionic. And that's because we have upcoming mm-hmm. a live version of Future Quake coming up. Mm-hmm. True. But not this week. Not this week. This week is another experiment. That will be a big experiment when Future Quake. We, I feel this like we're another, back working for the military or something. I know. This is like Maybe DARPA. We are. Uh, Meet up on Operation Mockingbird. We have Just another. Kidding. Well, <laughs> we're not part of Operation Mockingbird. No, we're trying to expose it. But we're going to have something else sort of unique this week, a little bit more low key. Mm-hmm. Um, ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you this week. We normally, as you know, Monday through Thursday, have our special guest who comes in on some new topic, usually a new new guest joining us. Mm-hmm. And we do not have a new guest this week, but we have material from a, you could say a new guest virtually mm-hmm. on our mm-hmm. show, someone who was recommended by our show. And in fact, I want to give a call out to Brother Carl, one of our listeners in Future Quake, who had recommended two guests some time ago. One was uh, Cheryl Welsh from mm-hmm. MindJustice.org, mm-hmm. who we had on our show. Mm-hmm. And the other one was um, a website. It was called Igthus, Igthus website, uh, www.igthus, I-C-H-T-H-Y-S.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the um, religious writings and research of Professor Robert Luganbill, and that's L-U-G-I-N-B-I-L-L. And uh, Professor Luganbill has this Igthus website that has some fascinating material on it. Mm-hmm. And it is material, for those of you who like the work of, say, Mike Heiser, for example, it's something that's, that can be very reminiscent of that in some of the passages. Some of the ways, yeah. It was recommended by Brother Carl that we have Professor Luganbill on. And whew, I don't know, for better part of half a year, it seems like, been trying to get a hold of him and... He is a professor at the University of Louisville, one of my old alma maters, Mm -hmm. uh, and teaches ancient languages, or classical and modern languages, and um, really had a difficult time reaching him. He was out of state, and uh, finally, we were able to hook up, told him about uh, my initial interest in his work, and uh, he is a little shy, a little radio shy for coming on initially. Yeah. Probably the horror of coming on Future Quake. I really couldn't blame him for that. If you listen to the stuff that comes out of Tom Bionic's mouth for five minutes, he's probably like, they're heretics, especially the one on the left. Well, you know, there's a a career-limiting factor to being on Future (laughs) Quake, so he has the fact. Seriously, uh, gentlemen, he wishes very well uh, and blessings in the Lord, and he said, by all means, cover material, but uh, he was not comfortable at this stage of his material to come on an interview, and so I said, well, can we still discuss... Uh, your material anyway, and he says, oh, by all means, oh. be happy for you too. And, you know, we've had a number of people on our show say that we need to do more shows with you and I mm-hmm. interacting well, on what? stuff. So they're <laughs> going to get go. there this week. Uh, we're going to talk about some of some of this material. We're not going to get in a rush on it. It's, there's so much in there, it could take us be a series. So I'm, I'm calling this part one of our series with Professor Luganbill and his uh, particularly work, if you want to look it up, it's uh, called The Satanic Rebellion. And uh, if you look under his work on uh, Coming Tribulation at his website, I'll spell it again, I-C-H-T-H-Y-S dot com. Mm-hmm. And we'll put that link here for the show on Future Quake. Mm-hmm. Recommend everyone go get this information, read it, read it along with us. 
Uh, he has tons of Bible references at the end of virtually every sentence of his work. Um, it's too little distracting to go through all those here in our discussion here. But we're going to read through some of his material, and we're going to read through his first part, which is pretty foundational. A lot of information that a lot of you all are familiar with. But uh, it's a good foundation for his subsequent work. And for some people out there that are new to our show, may not be familiar with some of this, and some of it's sort of provocative, and I've got some questions I want to talk about with um, with our good old friend Tom here about. Mm-hmm. Tom has been covering great new frontiers that I have a hard time understanding in your research. Sometimes and, I do, too. I mean, you've you've really been on a roll lately, and yeah. I just don't know what the Lord's going to be doing well, with we'll, you we'll in the see. future. We'll see. But There's uh, a lot of interesting stuff coming up. I look forward to your comments. on. Let me just tell you a little bit about Professor Luganbill. Mm-hmm. He's an associate professor of classics uh, in the Department of Classical and Modern Languages at the University of Louisville. Uh, Dr. Luganbill uh, got his doctorate in classics from the University of California, Irvine in 1990. Uh, from 82 to 84, he got his MABS in Hebrew Old Testament at Talbot Theological Seminary. Huh. Uh, he also served as a captain in the U.S. Marines from 75 to 79 mm-hmm. and got his uh, um, bachelor's degree, I believe, back in 73, 1970, Northeastern Illinois. Couple, couple books he wrote. I'm sorry. An interesting guy. It's a unique background yeah. for yeah. a gentleman. A couple of books he's, he's uh, written. Uh, one's called, I think I, I don't know if I pronounce this right, Thucydides on War and National Character. Uh, I believe that's an ancient I'm like a Greek person. Oh, uh, T-H-E-Y-L-I-D-E-S-T-H-U-C-Y-L, Thucydides. And then he's also the author of Illusions, Thucydides' Rewriting of the History of the Peloponnesian War. So that tells you sort of the kind of era of his focus and emphasis. He In 2008 to 2010, he was a distinguished teaching professor of the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Louisville. So he's highly esteemed. Uh, his website is called Igthus, Bible Study for Spiritual Growth. Uh, it was started from a Bible study he held at UC Irvine in the late 80s. Uh, and it came online in October 1997. And he says that the goal of this is he hopes that these lessons will contribute to the spiritual growth and progress in the Christian life of those who make use of them. Awesome. That's he had one that I wish that uh, he hasn't he hasn't posted it yet, but I was interested. It was... Uh, Part 7 called A Tribulational Code of Conduct. Hmm. Yeah. Well, let's get on his case to yeah. get that done. Uh, Send we've got his a, personal information, and I'll be calling him late at night. We've got a lot of material <laughs> to go through in the meantime to catch up with him. I, I tell you, if you go to his site, there's a section on, I believe it's maps and drawings. If you just look at those, there's enough intriguing information there. Of course, it's explained in this yeah. narrative. But it's interesting there. You, a typical future will get the hooked. Amethyst and the things and the where yeah. all the stones from mm-hmm. the from the right the ephah and the, that's right yeah it was interesting and and I think we're going to get through all that in our study eventually. Awesome. Uh, Igthus he explains if you're not familiar with it is an acronym it's from the Greek. Uh, the letters uh, of Igthus uh, which spells fish is an acronym for Jesus Christ the Son of God our Savior in Greek. Hmm. So that's that was something that sometime in the early part of the church became synonymous with for representing Christ. Of course, there was the Igthus uh, conference, music, you know, big events, convention events, things, mm-hmm. outdoor. Uh, his website has what's called a basic series of Bible studies, series on Peter, Peter series, special topics in Exodus, and then he has the Coming Tribulation series, which, you know, goes right down for our interest of our audience, mm-hmm. and as a part of that, the Satanic Rebellion series. Mm-hmm. And the Satan, Satanic Rebellion series leads up to it. 
And so um, the, the formal title of it is called The Satanic Rebellion, Background to the Tribulation. Uh, it's a prelude to the coming tribulation series and explains the tribulation's place in the ultimate plan of God. But, you know, that's just the kind of topic we would be interested yeah, something in. something very light. Right. How to live your best life now through the middle of the tribulation. And, and here's his description of this uh, uh, section that's writing the Satanic Rebellion background of the tribulation. He says, in five parts, the Satanic Rebellion explores, explores the origins and course of Satan's initial rebellion against God. In part one, God's result in judgment on the universe and planet Earth, occasioning the restoration of Genesis. Part two, the de- devil's temptation of God's surprise replacements for Satan and his angels, Adam and Eve, in part three, the diabolical worldwide system the devil has put in place to rule the earth, thus wrested from human control, part four, in God's seven millennial day plan, history as constructed and conducted by God, designed to bring history to his perfect conclusion, part five. Hmm. So, again, I think this is subject matter that as time, and we, we have a little patience here, it's going to be something of keen interest to our Futurian listeners, uh, so that the titles, uh, Part 1, Satan's Rebellion of Fall, The End of the Original Eden, Part 2, The Genesis Gap, Judgment Upon the Original Earth. And I think we're going to get into a gap theory uh, view of things, which will be very interesting. Big gap theory guy, so it's be very interesting to see his, his yeah. view. Part 3, The Purpose, Creation, and Fall of Man, The Garden of Eden. Part 4, Satan's World System, The Devil's Present Kingdom and Tactics. And Part 5, Judgment, Restoration, and Replacement, The Seven Millennial Days. So, here we go. We're going to get into this. And in part one, uh, which we're going to cover, talks about an angelic prehistory, Satan's original status, his character, sin, and fall. So, uh, this five-part series serves as an essential introduction to the biblical study of eschatology. It is presented in the manner of strategic overview. That is to say, it takes at one sweep the rebellion of Satan and his angels against God, God's response in creating mankind, Satan's continuing counterattack throughout history, God's answer in Jesus Christ, Satan's final disposition, God's resolution of all related issues, and the final termination of human history. Hmm. So as we begin now, introduction to part one, Satan's Rebellion of Fall. Um, Brother Tom, I want to uh, tell you, I've got a few questions in this person here, but I want you to interrupt at will okay. and have some discussion. He makes some compelling assertions, maybe less so in this part one. There's there's some common understanding with a lot of our listeners here, okay. but a few, few compelling things, but I want you okay. to interject as needed. Okay, his first uh, supposition here is, before he, given God, created the universe, God existed. Mm-hmm. Before Satan, before angels, before the creation of mankind, there was God. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has always existed independent of man, angels, the universe, and even time itself. Sure. The Word, Jesus Christ, existed at the very beginning, and there was reciprocity between the Word and God, the Father. This one both existed and enjoyed reciprocity with God from the very beginning. Everything came into being through him, and without him, nothing has come into being, which has, in fact, come into being. So all of it through all, Jesus. Yeah, all, all okay. John chapter 1 there. And let me, let me just reiterate, as we go through these things, there are tons of references. Go get this particular write-up if you're interested in further mm-hmm. study, and go look up his Bible references. I wonder, how he, would, I wonder how he would define reciprocity. I thought about that, too. As, uh, uh my understanding is a interaction back and forth, mm-hmm. a mutual so back and nothing, forth interaction. Nothing 
nothing more than just sort of the mechanical aspect of reciprocity? That's what I understand. Okay. That um, they, they were interacting with each other. Sure. This fact is an extremely important one to keep in mind because as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to remember that for all his terrible power, Satan is still only a creature operating entirely within the universe of time and space which God has created and is therefore entirely subject to God's sovereign will and omnipotence. By way of contrast, however, our infinite Lord is in no way whatsoever limited by or independent upon this finite environment of time and space, so essential to our existence and to that of all his creatures, Satan and the fallen angels included. Yeah, you see that exactly in the whole Elohim thing. You know, the whole idea where Elohim sometimes is translated God, sometimes is translated mm-hmm. God, plural, depending on whether or not you put the hey in front mm-hmm. of uh, right. uh, Aleph, Yod, I can't remember the rest of it. I can't spell mm-hmm. it off the top of my head. Um, but the, to the ancient Israelite mind, uh, the whole idea was that you could call them all Elohim because they essentially existed on a spiritual plane of existence. Mm-hmm. But Yahweh, God, was like, he was he existed on that spiritual plane, but he was like in a different category. Right, yeah. right. So. And, and and they're created beings. Yeah. These are all created mm-hmm. beings. Whereas Yahweh, obviously, is uncreated right. and et cetera, et cetera. And he's unique. Yeah. Okay. Uh, God, who created the universe and everything in it, even he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples our hands have made, um, nor is he ministered to by the hands of men, as if he needed anything from us. On the contrary, he is the one who gives life and breath and everything else to us all. Mm-hmm. That's the expression out of Acts 17. Uh, was it uh, Mars Hill, I believe? Um, in terms of relative power, therefore, any conflict between our infinite, omnipotent Lord and Satan, along with his coterie of angelic subordinates, cannot even be termed a contest by any reasonable sense of that word. Should it please God to annihilate the devil and his minions, he possesses the power to do so in an instant, without the slightest effort. And that gets rid of the dualist who believe like this is just classic yeah. struggle, you know, of good and evil, not knowing how it's going to play out. That God has not done so says much about the awesome character of the God with whom we have to do. Satan is allowed to exist, allowed to rebel against the generous Lord who made him, and his rebellion is allowed to run its course precisely because God loves us so much. doesn't feel that way when you're suffering under the fallen, cursed world, does it? Tell me about it. Uh, engaged in the middle of some crazy spiritual warfare thing, and it's like, whoa. And you don't feel like this is an expression of God's love. You yeah. really have to have a big, big picture. Yeah, that's, the, that's, the, that's the stand back from the Picasso view right, right there. Right, exactly. For the supreme love that God the Father has for us as demonstrated in the sacrifice on our behalf of his only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, can also be seen in his determination to let us, to let all his creatures, choose whether or not we wish to follow him of our own free will. Although God loves all his creatures with a perfect love, he does not force any of them to love him back. When history comes to an end, the only creatures, men and angels, who will be with him forever are those who have chosen it. Hmm. Now, that's an interesting word I think of when I think of the dominionist and people who want to use the coercive power of government to coerce what they think is right. Mm -hmm. And they may be right in many ways. But God does not use that technique of coercion well, one of the to bring key, about what God knows for one sure. One of the right. key, perhaps maybe the singular key thing that um, uh, our Lord points out in all sorts of subtle ways without coming right out and saying it, is that free will is the big thing. Free will is the big deal. You can come into God's kingdom 
uh, of your own free will, or you can stand of the enemy. And that's the that's the central thing that the enemy seeks to rob you of. Mm-hmm. Um, you deal with people who have real, for real, spiritual problems. You'll notice that it's always their free will is always affected. They always start talking nonsense at some mm-hmm. point. And um, I, I guess I could go on, but I won't. Okay. I don't want to weird our audience out. Okay. Uh, in its simplest expression, creature history, angelic and human, is a chance for each of us to demonstrate conclusively whether we are with God or against him, whether we want to accept and respond to his amazing love and spend eternity with him, or instead reject his love and spend eternity apart from him. Mm-hmm. Again, he gives us our wishes. Yeah, free will. For us in the world today, that choice is made very simply in the decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ through faith, or instead to reject the indescribable gift of his son who died on our behalf. The angels, however, have already made their choices, and it is a measure of the genius of our Lord that it is by means of that very rebellion of his arch-creature Satan that, number one, he validates our choice of him. So, in, in other words, despite satanic opposition, we still choose him, so that choice must be genuine. Hmm. So, in other words, we, we've been given another alternative when we choose him, it's legitimate. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number two, he demonstrates his love for us. Uh, for example, Satan's seduction of Adam brought all under sin and thus necessitated the sacrifice of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, an act that is the very embodiment of his love. In other words, even through this fall, the curse of the fall, an opportunity for a unique act of love was now made possible, mm-hmm. an act of redemption it that really we might not have otherwise grasped or comprehended. It really speaks to the whole idea... One of the things I've been doing is reading through Job, and there's this whole idea of kind of like almost blemished, blemished perfection with the whole idea of things going on uh, behind the scenes, uh, and God still has his control, has his hand on it all in the middle of it, even though it doesn't seem like it. So in the end, uh, all is restored, even though the middle of the book just mm-hmm. is like terribly, right? you know, it doesn't make any sense. Actually, he has more than what he had at the beginning. In fact, that is correct. And then the third point, he says, through this event that happened, he, God, furthers his own glory in the process by allowing Satan's rebellion to run its course, only serves to validate God's condemnation of the devil. In other words, his legitimacy of of the condemnation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Had we not come through the fiery testing supplied by the devil and his corrupt world system, we would never be able to appreciate God's marvelous provision for us and his deliverance of us from all our earthly trials. Only by allowing us to experience his grace in the midst of the devil's world could God bring us to a fullest understanding and appreciation of his love for us, while at the same time leading us to a full and genuine love for him. Thanks be to God for his ineffable and unsearchable wisdom. Okay, number two, God's creation of the universe. Mm-hmm. Although he was under no obligation or necessity to do so, God did in fact create the universe we behold today. Before time, in an instant of time, he created time and space and all matter from nothing. He did so to provide us with a temporal and material environment in which we, his creatures, might exist. This then is the purpose of the present world and its creation, to give us and his angels a home and a habitation in which to exercise our free will. God is spiritual and infinite, and he has no existential need for the finite universe. Hmm. But he made all things for us, for our benefit, that we might come to seek him, to know him, to choose to follow him, and to love him, for he first loved us. Much as we human beings desire to share our lives 
in our love and so bring children into the world. So our Heavenly Father has prepared the heavens and the earth for us, His children for our benefit and for His glory. We are not toys, pets, or automatons. We are His offspring. The fact that He sent His one and only Son to share flesh and blood as we do, so that He might die in our place, and that we might have eternal life, is incontrovertible evidence that His creation of us and of all that we can see, far from being an accident, flows instead directly from the matchless wisdom, purpose, and love of our God and Father. Hmm. Okay, God's creation of angels. Since Christians today are constantly being bombarded with false information about angels through our popular culture, it would be helpful to take a moment to consider the biblical perspective. Overall, angels are not particularly prominent in the Bible. Mention of them does not even occur at all in about half of the books of the Bible, and a little reflection or investigation will show that they are seldom the focus of events in any biblical narrative. In fact, they even go, go so far as to say, look, don't worship me. Right. Please don't worship me. Right. Just focus on the message. Yeah. There is a very good reason for this. God has given the Bible to mankind as a standard of faith and practice here in the world. That is to say, Scripture explains how God is dealing with us and only tangentially examines his dealing with the angelic kind. This point is important because it is no secret that excessive fascination with angels and their activities, especially that which runs far beyond legitimate information contained in the Bible, has been and continues to be a major stumbling block to believers and unbelievers both, drawing their attention away from the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, about whom there is so much to learn, and from the other doctrines of Scripture to a world of fancy instead, i.e. misinformation about angels and their activities. All this is not to say that some knowledge about the angelic realm is not important and necessary, but the Bible approaches the subject of angels very much on a need-to-know basis. It does not tell us all we would necessarily like to know, but it does tell us that we should know to understand God's plan for the world and for us. The actions, functions, and organization of angels, elect and fallen, are treated in part four of this series, but we will use here... Uh, be of use here to outline some of the basic principles discernible from Scripture that have an immediate bearing on our present study. And let me just mention, he's going to talk about some things we know about angels. I don't think he's trying to be a wet blanket and say we shouldn't look or study these things because when you when you read the rest of his stuff, he really digs in to some mysterious, murky verses mm-hmm. and tries to build a cosmology out of it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he tries to really study some of the deeper things of Scripture. He's not just trying to stay so tight Mm-hmm. without looking at some of the more challenging things. So mm-hmm. I don't want people to get a misimpression of him. They'll find that out when you when you hear further here. And he's got a lot to say about angels. Okay, first thing about angels. Angels are an order of creature apart from mankind. Everything in the heavens and on earth was created by him, Jesus Christ. Things invisible as well as visible, whether thrones, authorities, rulers, or powers, everything was created through him and for him. One of the more pernicious misconceptions of contemporary conventional wisdom about angels is the completely fallacious and harmful notion that angels are departed human beings. Nothing could be further from the truth. Scripture is clear about the fact that angels proceeded from man in God's creation, preceded man in God's creation, and that mankind was originally created with less glory and power than the angelic creation. Okay, angels are finite beings. Despite their obvious present superiority, compared to us. Mm -hmm. As created beings, angels are also dependent upon time and space. People don't often think about that. Though more powerful, Mm. mobile, and knowledgeable uh, than mankind, they are neither omniscient nor omnipotent, nor omnipresent. 
Uh, and he's got all sorts of references for every one of these. You can look up, you look up this paper online. Angels are often described as the host of heaven and otherwise compared to the innumerable stars. But although they are a highly organized group and quite numerous, it should be understood that they are finite in number, however large that undisclosed number may be. So that's something we share in common with them, is mm-hmm. our finiteness. It has been debated over the centuries whether angels are spiritual or material, and the common opinion has, more often than not, come down in favor of the former uh, on account of passages such as Hebrews 1, 7, and 14. Indeed, angels as uh, depicted in Scripture are not subject to many of the material restrictions under which we labor. They apparently do not grow old, hungry, or tired. Uh, They can, on occasion, even enter into human bodies, as in cases of demonic possession, and are, for the most part, completely invisible to us, even as they go about their work in our world, or mischief, as the case may be. These and the other facts speak to the immaterial aspect of their nature. However, angels can at times appear in bodily form, as in the case of the announcement of Christ's birth, and can also affect the material world with great power. Consider the angels who control the winds in Revelation 7. Hmm. These further facts, taken in conjunction with their subordination to time and space discussed above, make it clear enough that the angels, though spiritual in substance, are not excused from being vulnerable to certain material restrictions and restraints as well. For example, they can be confined and made subject to the compulsion of God's judgment as in the case of the final disposition of the fallen angels. A brief consideration, and I've got a question for you after this paragraph here. Okay. A brief consideration of the future post-resurrection bodies we are destined to receive after the pattern of our Lord Jesus Christ will be helpful in this connection. Mm -hmm. Man is a spiritual as well as a material creature. More about this in part three of the series. But while our present body possesses an earthly materiality, we are told and shown by the example of Christ and resurrection, that our coming body will possess a heavenly materiality. I mean, physicalness. Uh, As uh, the Apostle Paul puts it, the human body is sown a natural body. It was raised a spiritual body. Now, we know from the example of Christ that the spiritual body is still a body in every sense of the word. Jesus was still discernible to his disciples, talked, walked, even ate with them. And when Downing Thomas finally signed, Jesus commanded him to thrust your hand in my side. In no small part, to demonstrate the true materiality of our Lord's new spirit body, spiritual body. Corporality, the possession of a true body, is thus a hallmark of the human being before and after resurrection. Such is not the case for the angels, however. In Luke 24:39, our resurrected Lord appeared to his frightening disciples assures them that a, quote, spirit, or pneuma, the same word used for angels in Hebrews 1, 7, 14, does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So he's contrasting himself from that. Oh, our time's getting away here. Uh, we're going to have to bring Merv in. Merv, would you tell our listeners how to contact us at FutureQuake? FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. I know this seems like warm-up material. Appreciate your your patience, Tom, and our listeners. 
Uh, but we're building, we're crescendoing to some very intriguing conclusions. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important we all come from a common frame of reference. So we got to go. Come back tomorrow for our next segment, uh, talking about the Satanic Rebellion. And until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom El Guapo Bionic. Oh, what's that mean? Big. <laughs> big? Yeah. Big Bionic? Yeah. Okay. Um, Mr. Well, big. Well, you know, in the heavenly world, I believe you are big. Tom. I'm definitely I know you never admit that. But, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, we're doing something sort of unique this week. Um, rather than having a regular guest in here this week, uh, we have a gentleman who had some work that was that was recommended to us. Uh, that we're reviewing here uh, between Tom and I, just mm-hmm. reading his work and discussing it. Uh, Professor Robert Luganbill, uh, he couldn't be with us, but he encouraged us to review his material uh, online. And we're talking about a subject he's written on at his Ichthus website called the Satanic Rebellion. And it's an initial part of something he has called the uh, uh, Background to the Tribulation uh, Period. And... Um, we're going to get into some very interesting information. I recommend everybody go to his website. It's ichthus.com, I-C-H-T-H-Y-S.com. Download this material. Follow along with us. It's called The Satanic Rebellion, Background of the Tribulation. We're in part one right now. We started yesterday, and we're going to continue to proceed. And um, I want to, I'm coming up to a question here I want to ask you about, Tom, what you think okay. about this. We, we concluded uh, yesterday's show talking about the fact that angels are predominantly their spirit Although on, on isolated cases they can take physical bodies mm-hmm. uh, or physical form, you know, interact with physical world. But whereas while we have a spirit, our body is a main unique feature that we have about ourselves. And, and Jesus talked about when he was raised, he told the apostles, look, I still have a physical body not like the spirits or pneuma or the spirit, you know, example that angels mm-hmm. are explained. He says, um, this absence of true corporal substance on the part of the angels is at the root of many of the differences between us. Our spirits are willing, but our flesh now is weak and a major source of the temptations that confront us, temptations to which the angels are oblivious. For example, they have no need for money. In a curious way, however, the very absence of sensual experience is the on- that only a true body can supply was apparently no small contributing cause in the fall from grace of many of Satan's angels as he'll discuss later, mm-hmm. and one of his more intriguing cases. So um, he's making the case that that's something relatively unique to us as human beings, is having this physical body. And we, a lot of times we look at the negatives part of it, like pain, suffering, the curse. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to make a point later that the angels saw some things to their advantage of it. Uh, under what circumstances, Tom, do, you, do angels have physical corporal traits? Mm. I mean, th- this is strange. Ours ours coexist permanently mm-hmm. right now. We have both. As I understand what he's saying, and to correspond with what we know elsewhere in Scripture, it seems like there are isolated times when they can take on a physical, some kind of physical manifestation to interact mm-hmm. with their physical world. So what are those? What are those? Yeah, things? and and how I wonder how that is accomplished. Um. I mean, we don't we don't presume that they possess someone, right? I mean, it's not like demonic possession on the on no. the bad guys. It's what they do. But other we know there's angels that came and saw Abraham. There are people who sit down and ate. 
they physically picked up things. Hmm. So, a, a being that is basically spirit by its very nature, how does it perform those kind of things? Well, any insights on that? Uh, I, I have some I have some thoughts, but I don't want to confuse anybody, so I'll leave them. Okay. On the, I'll leave them off the table. But you think there is a, some explanation on how they Possible. take take up temporary physical form? Possible explanation. I know God can do anything. Yeah. I mean, it's what does what does Luganbill say? Uh, it doesn't get into that right now. Uh, he'll go into more detail later. Okay. Uh, in fact, they they take matters into their own hands, as we know. Those of us who study Genesis six. And well, it other certainly ways. seems like when they I was going to say when they sin, they get sort of cast out and right. You know, that's. But even those on God's team. When they have, when the mission requires it, mm-hmm. in interacting with humankind, they don't just have to stand up in the air as a spirit. They also can pick up physical things, and they're they're not ghostly, in other words. Yeah. So, didn't know if you had any other thoughts on on how that can be. I have some periodically. I'll bet he's thought a whole lot more about it than I have. Okay. Well, we'll proceed then. Okay. Okay. Another point about angels: angels are temporarily superior to mankind in many ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. Temporarily. Having established that angels are creatures too, and that they're not possessed of infinite power and ability, it is important to acknowledge that this power and ability of theirs is considerable, especially in comparison to mankind. First and foremost, angels are not subject to death, nor do they reproduce, leading us to the, at least not normally, leading us to the conclusion that their number has been the same since their collective creation. That is not to say, of course, that the fallen angels will not be subject to separation from God forever, an eternal punishment, an event which, in the case of human beings, is termed the second death in Revelation 20. So while mankind is enjoying a sequential residence on earth, generation following generation, mm-hmm. angelic kind has been experiencing a continuum of existence in heaven, even before the creation of man. Boy, that would be terrible for people who carry grudges. Do you remember back 4,000 <laughs> yeah, years ago right. when you didn't pay me that $10? That's right. Oh, I'm still well, however long, yeah, However long it is, everybody's just the same. Yep. Uh, you know, God had to keep shortening the life of, of mankind because they kept getting more and more evil in Genesis. Mm-hmm. And he would have to shorten their days. What if you had no limit on that, you know, in, in a non-redeemed state? So this longevity of, of angels, combined with the fact that they are not subject to the restraints and necessities of time and space that encumber mankind, undoubtedly contributes to their superior knowledge and wisdom. In other words, they can see things over a long time. Mm-hmm. They can get around a lot, see what's going on. Got a pretty good idea what's, what's going down. Yeah. yeah. Yet we should point out that by its very essence, the angelic nature is superior to our present earthly human nature in terms of appearance intellect, power, mobility, and authority. Such, however, will not always be the case. For just as our Lord, who was our precursor in the resurrection, is superior to angels in every way, including uh, including all aspects of his humanity, so also we are destined to share that superiority with him in our resurrection. Okay. Um do, do you understand angels as to be superior to us in authority right now? Saved or unsaved? Okay, we'll clarify the difference. Well, unsaved, absolutely. Saved, we've been raised up to take up the take over the desk job almost of the uh, angels who sinned. 
So in that sense, we are actually higher than the angels. We also have free access, uh, similar to like the Old Testament prophets, mm-hmm. to God's to God's throne room. We can stand before Him and request things, similar to like Amos, you know, Amos mm-hmm. the prophet, when he changed God's mind about the judgment of fire and the mm-hmm. other one. The, we have that. We have that well, ability. Angels do not. Well, that's, that's a very good point because also Abraham had influence on God's mm-hmm. judgment on. Uh, Son of Gomorrah, Moses, it appears, talked God out of destroying the Israelites mm-hmm. a number of times. Yeah. And you're right, I don't think there's an angel that has been able to yeah, motivate God in that fashion. Angels don't uh, change God's mind. Yeah. Yeah. And the some only, people would say humans don't either. I mean, that's a bone of contention. Yeah, certainly. On whether they do that. Not in my mind. Uh, here's some <laughs> verses that, that I thought were curious to compare to this. Uh, you know, I can certainly understand that if it came to like a, a wrestling match or different kind of things, that angels are superior to us. You know, as far as a lot of their physical traits and things like that, and they can do a lot of things I can't do. Mm-hmm. But you know, in Luke nine one, when when Jesus had his uh, his uh, disciples mm-hmm. and was training them, there was a verse I happen to think of. He says, and then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils. And to cure diseases. Now, there's some people dispute whether devils are actually angels or not. I think Professor Luganville comes on the side that they're a fallen state of angels. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even some other translations uh, give a version of devils as angels. Uh, that there was power given to his followers even at that time, Jesus over them, you know, as mm-hmm. opposed to the future. Now, Second Peter 2:10 says. Uh, and especially those who indulge the flesh, he's talking about these uh, bad teachers, who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring self-will, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Uh, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not re- bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. So he's mentioning indirectly that angels are greater in, my, in power and might, Whereas we have people here on the ground who are actually making these great, you know, daring statements against these angels. Which, you know, that that's the other side of the coin from things that we talk about often about what strength we have in Christ and spiritual warfare and things like that. And, you know, binding spirits and things like that. Mm-hmm. We have to be careful we don't fall under the false teaching that is applied here where it says that sometimes people go too far. Oh, yeah. And they don't recognize the authorities and powers. And, of course, uh, in uh, Jude one eight, it says, Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, it despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities, or, or authorities, also talking mm-hmm. about. Uh, and they're speaking about spiritual ones. It says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation against the devil, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Uh, but speak evil, but but these speak evil of those things which they know not. So that's the thing. It's sort of curious. I mean, th- these last two passages, which really echo each other, they're they're almost mirror images. Talk about people who can go so far in reviling these spirits um, when it's not yet our time to do that. Hmm. Um, but in fact, at least the devils, as made manifest in demons. It says clearly that Jesus had given power to his disciples to have authority over, hmm. at least to cast them out. Yeah. So it's to me it's more complicated. 
than one might see in, in simplified oh, sure. it's form. Very complicated. Yeah. Any other thoughts you have on that about the the current versus future? Mm, I'm gonna be quiet. Power throw. Okay. Be quiet. Okay. Uh, another assertion here: angels are similar to mankind in several important ways. Mm-hmm. Despite their present relative superiority to, to mankind as fellow creatures of God, angels share some important attributes with us. Like us, they possess personality and individuality. Uh, as for example, evidenced by joy in Job 38, desire and choice. Uh, like us, they are created to serve and worship God for his glory. As in the case of human beings, this service and worship is not compulsory, but something God desires from angelic kind of their own free will, exactly as he desires our free will uh, of allegiance to himself through faith in his son Jesus Christ. This proposition implies what is elsewhere in Scripture made very clear. While most angels have chosen to continue following and serving the Creator, some have rejected Him and are destined to face the consequences of their action. These two groups of angels are traditionally referred to as elect and fallen angels. As to the fallen angels, we know from specific Scripture references, he mentions Job 4.18, 2 Peter 2.4, and Jude 6, as well as from their association with Satan, whose fall we shall explore below, that their fallen status is not the result of some arbitrary decision of the Creator, rather it is a direct result of their own individual choices to reject Him and His authority. This moral accountability, then, is the most important similarity between angels and humans. We have both been given an existence uh, wherein the primary issue is our choice to follow or reject God. You know, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. If we see that with the angels how that would also be, by, by the nature of God, be present with us. You know, mm. there's many people believe that you have absolutely no decision process in yeah, following God. Yeah, hyper-Calvinist. You're, yeah, you're either thing. created for hell or you're created for heaven, yeah. and nothing you can do about it. But the, the Bible makes gives, God to be kind of, out to be kind of malicious, doesn't it? Well, it's, I don't understand. I don't understand how love would coexist with that. But, yeah. um, you know, m- much less us considering whether men have free will the Bible even suggests that angels had free will mm-hmm. on whether to follow him the differences between the character of our choice and their choice is entirely explainable by the differences in our respective natures now this is sort of complicated Okay, I want you to think this shows the difference in how we would make that choice between angels and men angels originally existing in a holy state made their decisions long ago before the creation of man we, human creatures, however, are limited as to lifespan, not to mention our geographic, intellectual, and physical constraints. Even more significant is the fact that we are born sinful, and as a result, we must choose to turn away from sin toward God through faith in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. The angels, by contrast, were all created holy, and as a result of this quite different circumstance, faced a very different choice to remain loyal to the God of the universe or to choose instead to turn away from God and join Satan's sinful rebellion. So I guess we start from opposite sides of the fence. Interesting. And we can switch yeah. teams going another way. God's ineffable wisdom shines through pellucidly. That's a Will Grigg kind of word there. I was going to say, calling Will Grigg. In this distinction of choices presented to us on the one hand and our fellow angelic creatures on the other, angels are by nature such that their ultimate decision of whether to or not to stay faithful to God seems to be the sum of themselves from eternity past to eternity future. That is to say, they are not subject to the temporal restraints 
limited knowledge and deceptiveness of the flesh that produces us the capability of, quote, changing our minds, whether towards repentance or apostasy. Now, this, if I'm understanding what he's saying here, it's very complicated. We have these additional things impacting us that angels don't have. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that, think about your own testimony. You gradually learned and got more information mm-hmm. that led you to a faith in Christ, right? Mm-hmm. By your testimony. Yeah, that started took, out with a perfect knowledge, or essentially perfect knowledge. That took time for you to get all the facts together to where you made your decision. Plenty of time. Um, and I would say even our future quick show... At this stage, we're still getting new knowledge mm-hmm. to have an understanding, you know, where we are up to the state. Mm-hmm. Angels sort of have it there, mm-hmm. okay? They, they have all the information the that existed up to now. Knowledge, yeah. They may not know everything about the future, but they know everything that's existed up to now. Mm-hmm. So it, it's there's not things that could put, tug and pull over time. The very longevity, intellect, and ability which angels possess apparently produces a certainty in resolution of decision-making that is largely unaffected by historical developments. As human beings, we have all experienced the change of perspective which the passage of time can produce, a factor of our gradually increasing knowledge, experience, and one would hope wisdom. Angels, vastly superior in intellect and knowledge at the point of creation, have already logged thousands of years of existence, and that without experiencing the process of maturing and aging, uh, this is not to say that angels are incapable of learning or being surprised by the unfolding of God's plan in human history, but it does seem to indicate that their perspective is more universal, spiritual, even eternal. Okay, it is a perspective little changed from the beginning to the end of time on account of the unique nature. Angelic decision-making seems to encompass or straddle time in a way we temporal creatures cannot fully appreciate. Therefore, angels who started out perfect and were either confirmed in their loyalty perfection, or they lost it when they rebelled and fell, seem to have made the decision about the Lord once and for all. They do not experience, quote, changes of heart in the way we humans sometimes do, turning to the Lord or sadly away from him on occasion, precisely because their nature is different from ours. So while these fellow creatures of God share with us the fact that the central issue in their existence is to choose for or against the Lord, the manner in which they have done so in the pre-human past is thus different from the manner in which we do now so in human history. Now, this is hard for me somewhat to grasp. Um, From what I understand, he's saying basically, we know they can have knowledge of history back to the time in which they were created. Mm -hmm. They can have all of this to put on the table to make an informed decision. They do not know about the future Mm -hmm. because we know that they were surprised by aspects of our redemption. Mm-hmm. They didn't foresee that. Mm-hmm. But they know everything up to this point. And, and what I hear him saying is is that angels by their nature make one decision and that's it. Mm-hmm. Whereas we may put off accepting the Lord. We may straddle the fence. We may do all these kind of things. We can make a decision, you know, and not be swayed. They, or, and be swayed. They, they just make it once. And that's why you don't... Yes or no. Yeah, you don't see an angel come back and say... Oh, I changed my mind. Can you Ooh, let me bad. go back? I'm gonna, yeah. yeah, we don't see. Now, the book of Enoch can give some passages, give an indication that they wanted to get back in God's good graces and wanted Enoch to speak on their behalf. And, he, and, and God, God said, said no. no. God said no. Who knows if that's true, uh-huh. if that's what, what really happened or not. I mean, that's uh-huh. just one ancient explanation. But um, that's what his supposition is. What do you think about that? Um 
I would say that I would say I actually kind of come to a similar conclusion that the angels, by virtue of the fact that they got to see God uh, uh. with their own eyes, they they sort of they have the whole they have the whole thing. You know, it's like you've seen holiness, so now you get to choose. And after that, it's, it's a singular decision uh, that hmm. that that leads to obedience or yeah. you know apostasy, uh, and you know, and that after that, it's just kind of the other thing. Uh, one of the other things is is I'm not I'm not completely unconvinced that, um, you know, you know, there's just there's just you know God, angels, men in the Bible. Yeah. Um, but that's, an, that's other spirit beings other, that are. Other spirit. I beings. think he's lumping them a lot together, mm-hmm. and there may be different statuses. If I hear you right. Yeah, and and contingent on the whole idea of angels is that angels essentially means messengers. Yeah. So uh, are you describing? Are and, you describing he's using a person a, or an office or both? Right. Or just one or the other? Right. You know. That's a good point. Tough, tough, tough questions, which I I haven't. I don't know enough about Greek and Hebrew yet. To Angel is really a, a role, right? Yeah. Although we often we see it written in ways when the Bible says, "Well, the angels did this or angels did that," and we sort of put it between our mind, connect the dots, is that that's also an entity or state in mm-hmm. addition to a role. Uh, maybe it's a certain kind of creatures who also have that role. Mm-hmm. But if I understand you right. Um, there can be different classes of, of of creatures, as talked about in the Bible, mm-hmm. that may have a little different set of ground rules. Sure. Than what's going on. Sure. There's, gosh, there's some really weird. If we had an hour, I'd bring up some really weird things. But I would. Well, get let's plan a show called Really Weird Things, and we'll just focus on those. How about that? Uh, over my pay grade. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, indeed, the idea that we can change our minds, repent, and more importantly, that God has found a way to accommodate our repentance and to provide for our deliverance from sin is a source of surprise and fascination to the angels. For just as we would have a difficult time seeing things from the angelic perspectives, so angels cannot fully appreciate our human point of view, not being creatures of spirit and body as we are. How could they? They are creatures for whom repentance is an existential impossibility, as is backsliding. Whereas in the case of man, we started imperfect and in need of help. Salvation is provided through Christ's sacrifice. In the process of working out our salvation, a number of twists and turns may well take place. Being subject to a finite temporal life, to pressures and temptations that are part and parcel of being in the flesh, especially the corrupted flesh, being under fire from the angelic dimension, for example, would Adam and Eve have sinned without Satan? Mm-hmm. Uh, and being limited in our knowledge under the best of circumstances, especially compared to the angels, we find ourselves in a very different position from our angelic brethren. Not perfect creatures who must refrain from choosing their own path, but imperfect, already condemned creatures who must choose to accept the gracious gift of life in Christ Jesus and persevere in our walk with him in order to lay hold of eternal life. You know, this makes me wonder... This may be stretching too far. If the once-for-all decisions apply in both cases. You know, there's there's a common belief of a once-saved, always-saved kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If someone has a legitimate salvation experience, they are redeemed, bought, their names are in the Lamb's Book of Life, they are um, adopted as children. Mm-hmm. That adoption as children doesn't change. It's tough. I mean, I, I think that there's some aspect that we are either missing or incapable, perhaps, of comprehending because on the one side... I think it's very legitimate to ask, 
can you be unborn again? Right. Right. I mean, that's. Gosh, I it is an important question for us yeah. to understand and get right. But on the other other side of that, you see in in uh, one of the Timothy epistles that says, you know, make your calling and election sure. I mean, right. In fact, there are many places it says that right. by doing these things that I put before you. So, um, and we know people who love Jesus struggle and battle over this with each other all the time. Sure. Uh, the key, obviously, is don't tempt. Don't tip the situation. Stay close to yeah, God yeah, and don't do the, even do the right thing. Don't, don't even tempt yeah. it. But if it were true uh, that that decision is once for all, then then a belief in that would be a complete corollary to angels. That there is a decision that is a permanent mm-hmm. uh, decision from where we are. Whether that is true in fact or not, I don't know. The this difference in our natures, in the presence of our free will choices, and therefore in our perspectives about God's dealing with us is critical for a proper understanding of his treatment of angels and men respectively. For it helps explain the testimony of the scriptures to the effect that angels are actually learning about God from observing the unfolding of his plan of salvation on earth. That's what's very interesting. You know, we we see so many people worship angels now and want angels to help them with all this kind of stuff and things. And sure, angels are powerful. They're very wise. They have a lot of powers. But they're still trying to figure out salvation. Mm-hmm. You know, so why would we want to go to them instead of Jesus Christ when we have needs if they're still struggling with something as fundamental as salvation? Well, and I'm not saying I disparage angels. You know, we're we're all yeah. have, have our situations. Yeah, I'm going to close here with a uh, question. Here, is there anything else that you want to talk about the impact of this limited perspective of men? During their decision time, I mean, do, do do you buy overall his his saying of the reasons why the rules are different for men? No, mankind? I think I think that's very. I've come to much the same conclusion for slightly different reasons. Um, uh, I don't know if I entirely buy into his whole thing that angels are completely they sort of exist within three dimensions, just like man does. I think that's sort of what he's saying. Um, uh, he's saying they're finite. Oh. Okay, well, they are finite. Um, well, they're invisible. The fact they're invisible, whether that means they're just invisible in our 3D or they're mm-hmm. visible in a fourth one or yeah, fifth it's, one or it's really hard to know. it's really hard to say. And I struggle with I struggle with their overall characteristics and properties yeah, vis-a-vis sure. ours and the you know the whole sort of uniting of uh, of that sort of at the at the the end of days when everything's all done yeah. and new heaven and new earth. You know, you come, we get. Then everything changes again. And then everything changes. Everything changes time. away. Yeah, it says, so. behold, I'm making all things new. One thing, I guess, in conclusion here, that's sort of a comforting word, mm-hmm. is that not only are we not fully grasping everything God's up to, but even the angels aren't grasping. So we've got good company. That was a particularly it, interesting thing that I thought yeah. I brought out. Yeah. Even the loyal angels. Yeah. I mean, everybody. I assume everyone sitting around a throne, all, everybody else, only has got... Part of the whole thing of what well, God's what, up to. That's kind of what makes faith important for both us and them. You know, yeah. we don't see what's going on. It doesn't yeah. matter. God has got yeah. it under control. Right. And we just have to actively have faith in that. The same thing with the angels. Mm-hmm. Created know? beings that don't know the future yeah. have to rely on faith in, in mm-hmm. the Lord. Yeah. Um, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. 
Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we have to go. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, thanks for being with us. We're going to pick up this discussion tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom with Lapdog Bionic. Yes, you are. That's Pyro, our staff member. Mm-hmm. And, say uh, hi, Pyro. Yes, yeah, say hi, hi Pyro. Pyro. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you. Uh, and we are getting ready to begin our third installment of our review of the work of Professor Robert Luganville, uh, whose work you can find at his website, igthus.com. That's I-C-H... T-H-Y-S dot com. Uh, it'll be linked at futurequake.com under uh, our archive of the show. And we're reviewing his work on his website called The Satanic Rebellion, Background to the Tribulation. And uh, we're still in the midst of his part one work, Satan's Rebellion and Fall. Um, Professor Luganville couldn't be with us at this time, but he encouraged us to have a discussion about his work. Hmm. And our listeners need to get a copy of this, read it for themselves, follow along with us, our discussion, hmm. maybe email us your thoughts. There are tons of Bible verses at the end of every uh, sentence. He's very responsible in his citations. You may or may not agree with his assertion, interpreting them, but at least he cites them there for you to review. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we last concluded yesterday's show, we were talking about the difference between... Uh, Mankind and their ability to change their mind, being in a finite world and having been pulled by all these forces. Whereas angels, things are pretty straight, cut and dried. Mm-hmm. They, they have a knowledge of everything up to that point over many years. There is a clarity to the decision before them and whether to follow God or not. So, uh, here, who are some other things talking about this difference between God and man? It's seen from, uh, and, and this is particularly concerning the angels being curious about the fact of how we make our decisions. You know, we, we're always curious about angels. Well, angels are curious about us, as we said yesterday, and, and some of our decisions. And some of the examples of that in the Bible, it says, number one, is seen from their observation of the life of Christ. In First Timothy 3.16, it says, Jesus Christ, who appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Holy Spirit, was revealed to angels, or i.e. was observed by them, was preached amongst the nations, was relieved upon in the world, and taken up in glory. Okay, another verse talks about him uh, as, as seen from their witnessing the progress of believers. Okay, this shows the angel's interest in First mm-hmm. Timothy 5.21. I charge you before God the Father and Christ Jesus and the elect angels that you keep uh, to these commands without partiality, doing nothing out of favoritism. Okay, so they are watching what we do in our interaction with God. And then third, as seen from their desire to know about God's plan of salvation. And this is from 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. Even as they foretold the salvation that was to come to you, the prophets of old diligently investigated and inquired about this gift of grace. Now this is interesting. It talks about the prophets. Mm-hmm. Okay, The prophets of old diligently investigated and inquired about this gift of grace, being eager to discover the precise time the Spirit of Christ within them was signifying, as he predicted, the sufferings of Christ 
and the glories of salvation that would follow the cross. For it was revealed to them that in prophesying these things, they were not so much serving themselves as they were you. And these same things have now been proclaimed to you through those who gave you the gospel through the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels want to look into these things. So that's an explicit reference that this whole mystery of the gospel and the redemption of salvation is something the angels are studying. Hmm. Now, you know, he wrote this, you know, decades after the resurrection of Christ. I assume he was thinking at that time they were still looking into it, which is intelligent and capable as angels. Can you imagine after that long they're still having Chapter conferences? Chapter 28. And, Yet you know, another aspect of salvation. Yeah, they're yeah. St- they're having their their debates, their little mm-hmm. groups about what, what what's this all mean, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I presume that's still going on. Uh, elsewhere, we are told that the apostles were made quote a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men, in First Corinthians four nine, well. and that quote because of the angels, women should maintain the sign of authority on their heads. Okay, so that there is that there is quote joy in heaven over every repentant sinner uh, from the angels, but that those who reject Christ and worship the Antichrist will be tormented in the presence of the Lamb and his only in his only angels. So they will not only see this repentance, but they will witness the torment of the Antichrist and his followers. Moreover, it's quite significant that angels are recorded as present at all the major events in the life of Christ. Mm-hmm. Host to heaven, showing up, singing. Yeah. Had you thought about that? That all the major events and angels around there? Yeah, I have. I have some. I have some rather lengthy thoughts on that, but I can't share them at now, this point because I don't want to freak anybody out. Okay, including me. Yeah. Uh, you know, it may be that I maybe they only come at the direct command of God to go there and look at this. Mm-hmm. I don't know what latitude of travel our Heavenly Father gives them as far as do they get like a day off or do they look at things they want Party to purposely. Time. You know. Yeah. You know their own. Mm-hmm. Volition, you know. For example, uh, I guess Paul had time to do certain things while he was doing the gospel. Mm-hmm. Were the angels possibly showing up also for themselves as part of the studying of what God was up to? In other words, did angels have their own personal interest in looking at this? Okay. I don't know. I'm just just wondering. Hmm. Okay. Um, moreover, it's quite significant, you know, that there were these uh, events: Christ's birth, His temptation, resurrection, His ascension, and His return. A fact that underscores angelic interest in this, the most critical, crucial phase of God's plan. Thus, angelic interest in human affairs transcends the completion of their duties and ministries on our behalf. As they observe human beings escaping the slavery of sin, choosing for God and trusting Him in spite of all opposition, they are, quote, learning something very important about Him. They see His righteousness, His justice, His power, and His love in the mission sacrifice and victory of Jesus Christ and its effective transmission to believe in humanity. And you know, they would have already seen his glory. As much as they could come in God's glory, you know, in his courts and see his throne, see mm-hmm. him. He would have, they would have been aware of all that. I don't know how much they would have been aware of his love without being able to observe these kind of things. Hmm. I, I I guess they see some kind of beneficial benefit in the fact that he doesn't destroy them, you know, that he Sure. Let them but have a love? blissful I existence. I wonder about that myself, too. You know, they, they can have a blissful existence, but they actually see love when they see sacrifice. You know, God sacrificing his own son to redeem mankind. They see an aspect of God that they would have never seen without the creation of mankind. So, I, to me, I think that's pretty heavy. 
God's faithful to, faithfulness to us through and on the basis of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, while essential to our salvation and subsequent spiritual growth, also carries an important lesson for the angels. We learn about the faithfulness of God by experience at salvation and afterwards. The holy angels, however, have never had the need for salvation, nor have they ever been hungry or thirsty, nor have they ever been in danger or experienced the fear and grief of death, because their nature exempts them from the most of the pressures that so define our human existence. They cannot learn about the faithfulness of God personally, but can only do so by observation of his great love and mercy to us here on earth as we are bombarded by the devil's attacks. Hmm. That's that's pretty interesting thought, is that they can only... that, 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 that the things that we endure have a benefit to us and that we see God's faithfulness. Okay, that benefits us. Mm-hmm. It, it can benefit the angels in that they understand more about their creator by watching how we what we go through and how he sustains us. Mm. I would also submit, too, that scripture suggests that other humans who are not part of God's family are, be- are blessed and benefited because they see the true nature of God and how we endure and persevere through opposition and tribulation. Mm. When we know how we respond in faith and then how he eventually is there for us and pulls us through, that is a blessing to the unbelieving, at least to the extent it leads them closer to Sometimes. embracing yeah. Christ. If that Sometimes it hardens their heart. I don't, And then you get into a whole, is it really a blessing? But that's another. Well, I remember an old country preacher that said, the same sun that melts the butter hardens the clay. So, if you feed a horse peanut butter, it looked like he's talking. Yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it, the Futurians. Okay. <laughs> Thus, okay, where was I now? Angels exist by Christ and for Christ, but can only fully appreciate him and the Father by actually viewing the sacrifice of the cross and the playing out of God's plan in perfect faithfulness to human beings who choose to believe. Thus, it is that angelic observation of the working out of God's plan of salvation in human history, both strategically uh, through the provision of salvation through Christ's incarnation, death, resurrection, ascension, return, and tactically by the imparting of salvation to and support of the progress of individual believers. It is a necessary ingredient of God's in God's destruction of the works of the devil and in his ultimate restoration of the harmony and order to his creation. And this is something he's going to really emphasize later in this, is that there is a harmony and order to creation, and God came up with a unique plan to restore it that nobody foresaw, not even mm-hmm. Satan. Okay. Um, number one, as seen from the ultimate consummation of all elect angelic and humankind in Christ, the Father has made known to us the mystery that he has willed according to his own good pleasure, which he purposed in him, Jesus Christ, for administering this present fulfillment of the epics, or these last days, namely the incorporation of all things in Christ, things in heaven, and things on earth. So it's just not the activities of what's happening on earth. There is a realignment happening in heaven mm-hmm. because of his act. Okay, number two is seen in the ultimate demonstration to angels through the church of God's ineffable wisdom in sending his son to die for us. Okay, Ephesians 3, 8 through 10 says, This gracious favor has been given to me, the least of his saints, to give to the Gentiles the good news of the indescribable wealth uh, that is in Christ, and to enliven, enlighten everyone as to how this mystery, once hidden from the ages in God, who created everything, is now being administered, so that the enigmatically intricate, intricate, intricate 
Sorry. Wisdom. Yeah, intricate, <laughs> that too. Uh, intricate wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms mm. through the agency of the church. Now, these are the kind of people we're talking about, like divine counsel kind of people there as well too, right? Possibly. The high powers and authorities. Mm-hmm. There is a message that is being sent to them through this activity. Yeah. And I think we would say that activity is, is their reigns coming to an end. Yeah. There, there's there's a fact, new hiring it, process. It sort of already has, and right now it's just sort of the big sweeping up the right sweeping up the bandits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. HR has already made their decision. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to your new office. Okay, number three, as seen from the ultimate reconciliation of all heavenly matters through Christ. Okay, Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, For it was God's good pleasure for the fulfillment of his plan to reside entirely in Christ, so that through him to reconcile everything to himself, having made peace through him and through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Mm. So in heaven as well, too, there is a reconciliation process going on. That is a weird thought. I mean, we think about, you know, it's mankind, we're mankind-centered. This really goes, and I'll, and I'll just spit out one totally wild thought here um, that I'm planning to write about in a couple okay. of years. Um, the idea that um, the Bible not only speaks to us, but it also speaks to all of uh, creation and, and thusly even the heavenlies and stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a, I think there's... Certainly, evidence to support that. In other words, the 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 wisdom of God is recorded physically down in the Bible. They're learning from that. They're also learning from just the actions of God, mm-hmm. the activities of Christ, how we respond to it. Mm-hmm. All those kind of things are things that mm-hmm. it's not just us. You know, it's funny. It, earlier in this discussion, he says it's not God's need to tell us everything about angels or about all these other kind of beings. We, we have hints and things that you have to really study to grasp. Mm-hmm. It's not a need for him. The main thing is that this Bible, we see how it impacts us and what we need to do. But on the converse, it's not just for us. It's like what you say is correct. The message that's Im- embedded in, in, you know, inside the Bible is a message, again, for all of creation, and yeah. not just for mankind. Okay, the three passages that we just cited explain, among other things, the effect of God's plan of salvation on angelic affairs by observing the sacrifice of Christ and God's resultant calling of the Gentiles through the formation of the church uh, of Jesus Christ. The angels learn about, one, through this, Christ's authority and centrality of God's plan, uh, two, the breathtaking wisdom of God's plan in sending Christ and calling out the church, number three, the ultimate effect of God's plan in reestablishing complete harmony and peace in heaven and on earth based upon Christ's sacrifice. So there, there was something cosmically happening that we typically don't think about much mm-hmm. based upon resurrection. It was, it was something to impact us far beyond our, our redemption through this activity. Um, I would say you probably you don't, don't dispute that, do you? I mean, his assertions in that respect. Um, think more about them, but yeah. Okay, well, let me, let me move on to the next, because it gets more intriguing as we get further into this. The point made by this last passage treated above, Colossians 1, calls for some comment. One element in this angelic, quote, instruction by observation of human history is, no doubt, the complete refutation of Satan's deceptive 
and self-deceptive assertion of God's inability to confront his rebellion, an assertion used in the first instance to deceive fellow angels and to win them to his cause, and in the second to deceive and ensnare mankind, an operation very much in progress. And, and he builds on this as a major assertion he makes, is that Satan's main argument to win over the angels was that he had God over a barrel, where due to other traits of God and characteristics, God really couldn't pass judgment on them after they rebelled. I'm saying it in a nutshell, okay? Sure. And so, and so Satan did not see this playing out the way it did, that God had better plans to not be checkmated, okay? Um, based upon what we know of the fall of Satan and his present modus operandi, we would not be far wrong in reconstructing the the essence of this false assumption as follows. Okay, here's what Satan believes. He thinks, I and my followers shall be free of God's retribution because if God were to destroy us or otherwise eternally punish us, the completeness and harmony that a godlike universe demands would be forever lost because, one, God cannot replace us, therefore there'd be no completeness. Number two, God cannot rehabilitate us, therefore there can't be any harmony in the universe. And number three, therefore God cannot punish us. So, to have a harmonious, complete environment would require, pun- you know, him punishing them and separating them would mm-hmm. run counter to his desire to have a complete, harmonious environment. And so, so why not just raise up dust to take over their desk job? Well, Ding. now this this is, okay, this is what he thinks Satan's rationale he used, okay? Mm-hmm. How ironic it is that Satan, who knew much better than we the awesome power of God, has been relying all along on the character of God to protect him from the wrath of God. Now, I will say, human beings use that all the time. A loving God would never send me to hell or send anyone to hell. How, how could he say he's a loving God and do that? Why would he hold me accountable for my actions? So that argument hasn't, you know, hasn't really disappeared. Mm-hmm. No doubt uh, he thought to put God in an insoluble dilemma. Either tolerate the breach in universal order and harmony or rend unity and peace forever by crushing Satan. Satan counted on God's tolerating evil uh, rather than just taking an irrevocable step that would permanently mar his creation. But Satan who should have had a better understanding than anyone else of the universe of the ineffable wisdom of our God, who had planned the beginning and the end of all things before time began, and who was therefore incapable of being surprised, he failed to take this paramount consideration into account. In other words, this trade of God knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. The present working out of the Father's great plan of salvation in the person of Christ is demonstrating this very fact to Satan and his followers. And one is replacement, okay? This is one thing God is showing him. Elect mankind is, in effect, replacing fallen angelic kind in God's universal order. He cites his verses, Luke 10, 17, 1 Corinthians 6, Revelation 20. Though aware of God's ability to produce other creatures, Satan seems to have assumed that such an action could prove futile, because if given the requisite free will, these new creatures would react similarly to the angels. However, elect human beings who choose to be saved are a perfect complement to elect angels who choose not to sin, and thus a fitting replacement for the falling angels who would not choose to be reconciled to God. The second is rehabilitation. Beyond the issue of choice is the issue of opportunity. 
Satan also must have reasoned that God would not be able to provide a means to expiate sin once it occurred to these other beings. Mm -hmm. Therefore, no rehabilitation or salvation of angels would be possible. But the Father's plan of salvation for mankind through the blood of Jesus Christ, God becoming man, was an event the devil never anticipated. Though the analogy, through the analogy of mankind, the angels are seen firsthand that if any fallen angels would have repented, now this is an interesting conjecture he makes, okay? If any fallen angels would have repented, an action contrary to their natures we have seen, God could have provided the means of restoring them to himself, as indeed he has done for sinful mankind, uh, at the highest price of all the sacrifice of his only son on our behalf. What do you think about that assertion? That if they could repent, he could have come up with a means to redeem them. The, the only way I know possible, if he used the same approach and technique as he did for us, is if Christ had become an angel and died on their behalf. If that would have been a possibility of God. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 that's a, I think that's a pretty... Thus far, I, I've been like, yeah, I, you know, that, that could probably mm-hmm. fits. That one is like... That's just an assertion as far as I know. Well, he makes his own point moot because he says they really don't have um, an innateness to change their minds. Yeah. Okay? So it's like they, 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 they tend to just make permanent decisions. So the point is moot. Mm-hmm. But what he is saying is is that I think he's talking more about God's nature. God's, <laughs> God's nature is such that if someone wants to be redeemed, they will be redeemed. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to understand that that is what I understand to be God's nature. That's why people who go to hell are only people who have chosen to be away from God. Hmm. And, and my understanding furthermore from what I read in scripture is that when God judges people God judges people based upon the truth that they reject. That That is the impression I get over and over again from scripture particularly Romans chapter 1 hmm. where God judges them based upon the amount of truth even if it's a primitive truth the amount of truth that they had access to and purposely rejected that is what will send them to hell. It will not be because of their ignorance of truth that they weren't privy to. Sure. It's, well, uh, that's, I won't say a primitive way, but that's one facet of thinking about the idea of faith where you act in obedience uh, to something that you understand, even though it doesn't make any sense sometimes yeah. or pretty much ever. Well, in my see, case. And I'm, and I'm conjecturing a little bit here, but I think I'm, I'm on pretty good biblical grounds for it. You know, a lot of people stress over this thing about what about the people who never heard the name of Jesus? Then they're all automatically going to hell because they never heard. Mm-hmm. There's no question that we've been given an evangelical mandate to the Great Commission to obey God, to preach the gospel to all people. Um, it's a saving faith. The power of the Holy Spirit works through it. People are redeemed. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be. People that were lost, you know, um, come over to Christ. But if you look at Romans chapter 1, the people are, are judged there not because they didn't know the details of Jesus Christ. They're judged because they saw God's nature, his holiness, his, his loving kindness, these kind of things through nature, and they rejected that. Hmm. Because they rejected that, God says, that they were judged and then you You're know dumb. eventually given yeah. over to reprobate mind. It wasn't because they didn't know all the finer points of of doctrine, of mm-hmm. you know multiple covenants and all that other kind of thing. What they knew and what had been revealed to them, they chose or not. Now this would suggest further to me, and this this is all something I I can't see I'm concrete on, but I have an inclination now. Mm-hmm. But but also that would lead me to believe that those who have that kind that on the other side, people who take the knowledge that they have been privy to of God 
want, they, they understand, first of all, nature will show you, first of all, that God is great. It'll also show you that you're not. And it should also show you that you cannot reach out to God. You cannot reach Him or even know of any kind of way to satisfy His demands. That, that, at a minimum, that should be able to help you understand that He is great and there is nothing I can do to reach out to Him. That is far along the path of what God wants because a recognition of knowing it's not in your strength and power to be able to bridge the gap to God is the main thing that most people never get to that point. They never get to the point of understanding that it requires intervention on God's behalf to build a bridge to mankind. Yeah, that's interesting because that's that, that idea to make the Tower of Babel really insidious, the whole idea where man built this tower, this where many people think it's yeah. a ziggurat, you know. Yeah. And they weren't doing it for good purposes. They were going up to fight. Mm-hmm. They were going up to fight God. Likely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, and Josephus says it explicitly if he was correct. You know, he's, he's going to say mm-hmm. what the ancient Jews believed. But in uh, the same point, though, is for ones who have that desire to know God and whatever they've been revealed, Scripture seems to suggest to me that when they hear the full word of Jesus Christ, they embrace it fully. Mm-hmm. They 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 accept it. They they accept that information uh, and, and embrace it. And examples I'll give are Cornelius. You know, Cornelius had a very limited understanding about God. God said, you know, you found favor with us. I'm sending you Peter to tell you the whole story. They embraced it. Apollos. Apollos preached. He only knew of the, the baptism of John, mm-hmm. but he preached. He was faithful to God. God God knew he was devoted to him. And God made provision, so he met Aquila and Priscilla, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they told him a more excellent way. They mm-hmm. told him about what had occurred through Jesus Christ fully. And what was his response? He embraced it. Yeah. He embraced fat it fully. Fat city, here comes the Lord. So um, I don't think he probably used fat city. But. Well, <laughs> but, but, but I think, you know, and to me trying to resolve some of these really tough things in Scripture, mm-hmm. it seems to me that the whole people out there in the world and through time and even in our current time who have different levels of understanding of God's nature. Mm-hmm. There are people who truly choose to embrace him and want to please him, yeah, it's all understand about, their inadequacy. It's all about faith. And if they if they do, hopefully, you know, we know now even that the Lord is sending visions to even Muslims. Mm-hmm. They're really honestly yeah. seeking about Jesus, mm-hmm. saying, you know, here, go talk to these people. you tell you more about me. That God will do that outreach. But the other tendency is those kind of people, when they hear the word, they embrace it. You know, what's interesting is some of the research that I've been doing is that <clears throat> with with uh, 30 seconds. Great. Uh, with people, with a lot of missionaries and stuff, they've been reporting that there are, there are Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists out there that choose to worship, uh, obey, and revere uh, Jesus Christ as God, but still call themselves Buddhist, Hindus, and Muslims. I don't know what that Why? means. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I can fully comment on that, but it's a curiosity. Yeah. Maybe we should have some missionaries and talk about that. What that means. Yeah. I'm trying to find some people that I can talk to. Or if they fully understand what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I don't know. Only they know. That's the interesting crux. Only they know. Yeah. But it also says that when we share the word, you don't know what's going on in the heart of everybody when you proclaim the word. Mm-hmm. But when the people embrace it out there in the audience, mm-hmm. you know those are people who are seeking God. And the Bible says, he who seeks finds. Mm-hmm. So when you see him embrace it, you know that was somebody looking for the word, they received it. And sometimes a few prodigals out there that the Lord has to go chase down. Yeah. So, Bird, would you come in and tell our listeners how to contact us here at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. 
That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. That was a lot of heavy doctrine to rush in a few seconds. I hope I didn't confuse anybody or myself. But come back tomorrow for the next segment. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Ciao. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom, hoping I'm not causing anybody to freak out too much with my comments. Bionic. Well, that makes two of us. That could be my middle name, too. I know. Because we've talked about some pretty heavy stuff this week. A lot of... I know we're we're reviewing by proxy, Mm -hmm. a third person's work, and sort of looking into it. And I know at the end of yesterday's show, we sort of got into some really heavy, Mm -hmm. what they call it, soteriology, uh, the study of salvation. Mm -hmm. And I didn't mean to flippantly treat some heavy topics that a lot of well-meaning Christians struggle with. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one thing you and I can agree on is that everyone needs to embrace Jesus Christ for their salvation. Yeah, let's get right down to the brass tacks. For their salvation. It's all about Jesus. And um, put your complete trust and faith in his atoning work. Yeah. And one thing else I can tell all of you out there who are listening, whatever your faith is, whatever you believe, when you get to heaven, there will be one person on that judgment seat, and that will be Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. will not be anyone else, no matter what you've been told. Uh, you may Opie know different Joseph parts. That's right. Ellen G. White. You may know different parts about God or different levels of understanding of who He is, but I would I would say you better throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Yeah, that's he, really the only. There's one road. He 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 will be he will be making the call mm-hmm. there for you. Okay, can we jump back into our our work? Uh, if you if you haven't missed out this week, we are reviewing a work of a gentleman recommended to us by Brother Carl, one of our listeners. Uh, uh, professor Robert Luganbill, professor at University of Louisville. Um, it works mostly in classic and modern languages, uh, professor, but he has a website called Igthus. It's I-C-H-T-H-Y-S dot com. Uh, on a number of things, he's talking about the tribulation period, and there's a precursor study called the Satanic Rebellion, Satanic Rebellion Background of the Tribulation. And we are still going through part one of that work called Satan's Rebellion and Fall. It is a foundational work. Uh, some of you may be familiar with a lot of this info already, but there's others in the audience that are not. And we hope to build upon that. He's making some provocative statements just in what we've covered this week so far. And I, I recommend everybody go to his website get it. We are not reading all of his references. I suggest you have a Bible and go through and be a Berean and check what he says and see or if it holds water. put some of your own in. Well, not really. <laughs> well, if you look for other Bible verses, that'd be fine, too. Yeah. Yeah, if you do that. And we're going to pick up where we left off. We were talking, trying to understand what Satan's mindset was in his rebellion and what he did not take into account. And that's how we sort of concluded the content of yesterday's show. Uh, and that leads to what Satan's conclusion must have been, according to Professor Luganbill. He says the false assumption that God would be unable to restore harmony and completeness to his creation has thus been refuted by his creation and salvation of elect mankind. By making and saving man through Christ, the Father has, in effect, knocked both props out, out from under Satan's assertion that God would be unable to punish him for his rebellion. 
The reconciliation of human beings to God throughout time, paid for historically by Jesus Christ, and picking up momentum as we draw ever nearer to the end of things, has clearly given the lie to Satan's confident assertion. These are surely things even angels want to look into, again, in First Peter. Mm-hmm. The, this discussion of the original satanic rationale, expanded upon in section 4 below, helps to explain Satan's dogged opposition to the inexorable plan of God, as it has been working in the lives of men since our first parents were expelled from the garden. For God's deliverance of us through Christ and his promise to us of eternal life in Christ demonstrates unmistakably to all the angelic kind that he can and he will and he is replacing Satan and his followers, the end of which is eternal punishment for their unrepentant rebellion against the one who made them. For as it says in 1 John 3.8, Christ appeared, quote, to destroy the works of the devil. You know, that's a powerful work. We, we read over that a lot, you know, and people studying the Bible. Mm-hmm. And they just come, kind of keep going. Well, the works of the devil are pretty cosmic. They're not just, you know, tempting you to uh, steal an apple from the, you know, marketplace. Mm-hmm. He's doing things on a cosmic level in heaven as well as earth. And God was destroying that stuff there as well. Satan thus badly misjudged God's wisdom and ability relative to both angels and men, failing to fully understand that the ultimate working out of his love, justice, and truth would inevitably result in redemption or replacement, justification or rejection, and reconciliation or punishment, as has transpired for mankind through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God's goodness overflows with love, providing a grace for sinful man. Though evil says a loving God can't condemn. Now, he's contrasting what happened versus what Satan says, okay? Mm -hmm. He did, God did, condemn his son that we might live, redeeming us in love with the blood of Christ. God's holiness overflows in justice, offering mercy to sinful man. Though evil says a just God can't forgive, okay? He did forgive us by condemning his own son, making us righteous to the blood of Christ. God's faithfulness and truth overflow in life, producing peace with God for sinful man. Though evil says that a God of integrity can't restore us. He did make peace between us and God, reconciling us to his Son and granting us eternal life on the basis of the blood of Christ. So through this work, God has refuted each of his assertions. Okay, now here is a balanced perspective on angels. Okay, when discussing the topic of angels, their similarities to us and differences from us, it is important to keep in mind that both their present superiority to us and their eventual subordination, uh, uh, angels are not to be disrespected, and he lists the references in in his work here, but neither are they to be worshipped. This tandem of caveats is especially important in regard to fallen angels. Possessing as they do the attributes and history described above, Satan and his angels are formidable adversaries. Yet at the same time, we must keep in mind that they are not the only angels. God counterbalances their evil efforts with the work and ministrations of his holy elect angels. Therefore, although we have a healthy respect for the adversary and his potential to oppose us, uh, we are not to be unduly terrified by him and his minions. And we know that happens Mm -hmm. to some of us sometimes. Particularly when you hear some people working out in the frontiers of spiritual warfare. It can cause a lot of sleepless nights when you think about being under attack, you know. Yeah, there's stuff that goes on. Well, even here in the states, I know that people are involved with it. Right. They're like, yeah. You but God's plan is not for us to be living in terror of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and while we are to have an awareness and appreciation for the positive function of the elect angels on our behalf, we are not to be inordinately fixated on them, especially since both their persons and their work are invisible to us. In either case, should we quote go beyond what is written in the Bible about angels? 
whether through excessive fear of satanic influence or an exorbitant fascination with the ministration of holy angels. After all, it is God whom we are to fear, God whom we are to love and follow, and it is upon God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we are to fix our gaze while here in the devil's world. And he says in Luke ten twenty, Do not rejoice only in this, that the spirits obey you, but rejoice that your names have been recorded in heaven. Um, and certainly some of these ministries, like we talked about, some of the, the apostolic reformation and others, they they get in so far into the spiritual warfare that they just start coming up with new things. Like I think I sent you some information where they were out at the Georgia yeah. Guidestones Moon and Stonehenge stuff, and they were yeah. like divorcing the church from Baal and all this Who other says kind of stuff. They were stuff. married, yeah. right? Right. I mean, if you if you start reading that kind of stuff, once you go down that path, then people are liable to say anything. Yeah. And evidently that happened in the New Testament because that's what the epistles were referring to. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's some angelic prehistory for you, okay? Ooh. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1-A. Oh, are we up to gap theory now? Okay, we're getting there, okay? The creation of angels. At some undisclosed time following his creation of the heavens and the earth, God created the angels. That is to say, at some specific point between the original creation of Genesis 1-1 and the restoration of the earth described in Job 38, 4, and 7, mm. okay, which followed God's judgment of Satan, God created all angelic kind. He created them holy, giving each of them distinct duties and definite domains in which to exercise their delegated authority. You know, it sure is interesting that you're mentioning Job. Sometimes it's like Job is like an appendix of, of far-out stuff. Yeah. You know? You have to pan for it. Yeah. I mean, you really have to be patient and go through. And, and obviously, it's it's a multi-tiered meaning book. Mm-hmm. You can get the basic meaning, you know, just the basic narrative, and that's useful. Mm-hmm. Then you find some in-depth stuff about their personalities, and then you get into some of that kind of stuff you've been getting into with the book of Job. And I think that is one of the great unappreciated areas in the Bible. Of course, so many millions of people have studied the Bible for so many countless man-hours mm-hmm. that it's hard to say everybody hasn't done most everything already. But it seems like to me the books that seem... The most out of place in Scripture that seem oddball are the ones that offer the greatest opportunities. Job is one. It it just seems like it doesn't it doesn't fall like with the books of the law or the history mm-hmm. or things. It's just there. Mm-hmm. I would say the book of Esther is one that has tremendous potential. The book of Ruth is another one that does too. Mm-hmm. Jonah. Um, if you look beyond just the veneer level narrative, yeah, and I think this is part of. Well, I've got a question to ask you that goes a little farther than what he Uh-oh. is because he, he's setting the um, he's setting the setup. Well, he's setting the setup um. for the gap theory that there was a lot of stuff went on between Genesis mm-hmm. one one and one two, mm-hmm. and and like George Pember and people before him, mm-hmm. he'll lay out his verses on why. Mm-hmm. Is it possible? And I think I probably already know the answer to this, but when it says in the beginning, that's the beginning of what? I mean, I guess, I guess it's possible, you know. I'm not a Hebrew expert. It makes me nervous yeah, when you look at me Yeah, maybe like Mike Kaiser ought to. Well, I want you to make a definitive answer so then you yeah, can be so refuted can, and humiliated later. Yeah. Well, uh, that's like it, every other show. Well, even the fact that I'm asking it may show my ignorance. But just thinking openly, okay? Mm-hmm. When, we, when we see in the beginning, we all sort of fill in the blank on what beginning means. Mm-hmm. Okay? Sure. I mean, well, it's obviously the beginning of us. Yeah. I mean, scripture, people. You know, Hebrew is decided by context, and there's no context when you when you write the first word. Yeah. And Bereshit, I mean, uh, I think believe means just beginning. So, but I, I mean, 
it, it should be it should be connected grammatically to the rest of the rest of what's written. First of all, we know God as I understand pre existed since he's always been. Mm-hmm. Genesis one one. Mm-hmm. So whatever beginning was, it's not the beginning of anything that is because God existed before Genesis one one. So sure. since God is before that, the beginning has some finiteness to it. The beginning relates to some finite something that had its beginning. Is it the finiteness of everything that is external to God? Is it just the beginning of this heaven and earth and the creatures created through this phase of creation? Here's what I'm getting at. Uh, and maybe I'm reaching too far from even what he says. I, I don't think we read in any of these verses in Genesis about the creation of the angels. Although it says he creates the heaven and the earth and there are yeah, other things that are created. Talks about them being... They witnessed... Yeah, they witnessed and they shouted for joy at the creation. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's just say they weren't in the days two through whatever they weren't mm-hmm. created then. They were witnessing it. Mm-hmm. You, you could say like he is going to lead us into that somehow they came along between Genesis one one and one two. Is it also possible that they could have been created, but in something a pre beginning to the beginning that was intended in Genesis one one? It's possible. I mean, I'm not trying to be a. Um, Heretic, you know. Too late. I'm not trying to go against what scripture. I, I One see a guy we, with a bell and a book. Oh, yeah. there's the other guy with a candle. With a candle. There you go. Yeah. It's about overdue. Yeah. There, we know God always existed. Scripture's clear about that. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned they watched creation. Mm-hmm. Question is, did they watch Genesis one one, at one two, or did they just watch one two forward? Hmm. That's tough. I've always, I've always, taken and it's it's according to what beginning means. The beginning of what? Yeah. Everything external to God, or just this creation? Yeah. And I, I assume there's like real obvious answer that I'm just not privy to. Well, I've always taken the from the Genesis account, my current understanding, and even that's really fuzzy. Yeah. I'm sort of I'm suspending real judgment on that until I get really good at Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems to me like the first three chapters of Genesis are from God's perspective, and then once man is introduced, right. it's written from man's perspective. So, Which would work well with these people that talk about the relative motion of earth compared to where God is. Yeah, yeah. It gives you more flexibility in understanding what time mm-hmm. is. Yeah. <clears throat> I guess the reason I sort of got into that was uh, I read this book by a guy named Maimonides. He's an uh-huh. old old rabbi yeah and yeah. Uh, the most famous really teacher yeah yeah uh, he uh uh he made a a comment in a book for in a book called a guide to the perplexed mm-hmm. that uh the, the he wrote uh, that book i think so yeah hmm. robert had mentioned that book a guide to the, the perplexed, day to yeah. look at that yeah it's a weird book man is it um even yeah. from future quake standards <sighs> yeah okay uh but he made he made a a comment that if if I understand what he was saying, what that he believed that everybody existed in ten dimensions, and the Earth was mm. about fourteen. It's trans. I don't know what the translation is, and I don't speak Hebrew yeah. well at all. But like it was, it was like fourteen point five billion years old or something like that. And the current scientists put the Earth at fourteen point two, uh, based on their, yeah. you know, their ideas. Uh, and he got, but Maimonides got that from from just the first couple chapters of of Genesis. Right. So. And I know something then, happened. Something. And I don't know if it was you, Ross, or somebody else, took this idea and said, 
picturing it like the speed of light, mm -hmm. like the earth moving away from God when he created, spoke into existence. Mm -hmm. If you take that intervening period of time before man and look at the relative speed, looking at relativity, mm -hmm. which is bona fide, mm -hmm. you look at relativity and you look at the time frame for where God is as a speaker versus what's going on on earth, you actually could look at a very old earth on earth while from a God's time frame in the Bible, he's yeah, talking about a 24-hour day yeah. per day. And that's where they came out to that 14 point something billion. Now, let me say before we lose half our audience, it immediately burns effigies out of us. Oh, that's fine. There's Speaking for myself, I don't, I don't have to have an old earth. I don't feel obligated to fit with what scientists say. Old Even though I'm a scientist, yeah. I don't care. God could have created in an instant, a nanosecond, um, mm -hmm. you know, 624 hour days. I'm cool with all of it. I'm cool with all of it. But at the same time, I think if you listen to Future Quake, you can certainly appreciate that there's no reason why we need to constrain the Bible tighter than what it itself does. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that almost becomes pharisaical mm -hmm. at that point. Um, we, You and I are committed that the Bible is the accurate, authoritative, authentic representation of reality, yeah, of what reality is. The Bible is by God and so, our message to us. So, having established that, and hopefully what we can agree on with our audience, mm -hmm. this is a little bit of a tangent, this whole thing. But there is a lot of flexibility in what God can choose to do mm -hmm. by his own volition and fulfill his will and his word. And it's certainly the example of that is the whole New Testament and the the uh, uh, ministry of Jesus Christ as an example. The, the Jews of the Old Testament era believed that there were two sort of messiahs, right? There was like a well, Ben Joseph and, and another Ben David. Now we're getting into the now we're getting into the whole thing. They had a whole range of options that were viewed as viewed as orthodox up until about two hundred AD and then those range of after the fact. range of options were narrowed drastically. Right. But I, the only reason I'm raising this point is they felt like since God was constrained by his word, they were trying to make all these verses work. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't see that that some one person could be the suffering person and also be the reigning person. Mm -hmm. So since they knew that was impossible, they thought they were being faithful to God by coming up with these two personas. Sure, is the only way they could imagine that God's word could be held true. Some saw as many as six. Okay, <laughs> all right. Yep. Sounds like a magnificent seven minus yeah. one. So so in other words, what they found out, well, Malam well, didn't admit to it. Some did. Mm -hmm. was that their imagination wasn't big enough to see how God could fulfill his word, precisely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That happens over and over again in Scripture. He will prophesy something, even in the Old Testament, it comes true by almost the strangest of circumstances it comes true. Sure. So I think that's a warning to all of us before we get too dogmatic in things. Like, for example, if people ask me about what I think happened at creation, I just say it happened exactly the way the Bible says. Hmm. And then I feel pretty confident. Now, do I fully understand all of the mechanisms by which God can make that manifest? Very few. No. Yeah. I understand a few things, but I believe with all my heart that it's true. Yeah. Because it's the it's the same book that tells me how I can have assurance of salvation. Yeah. So exactly. It better be true. Yeah. I agree with all of that stuff. Okay. Enough about that. Did you have any other thoughts on that about I would just when say, the angels showed up? I would just say, uh, well, if you're going to write in and be dog really dogmatic about about your particular view of the Genesis thing. You can just send those emails to me. Because <laughs> you know what I'll do with them. We love all of you out there. Yeah. We realize for a lot of you, this is a strong bone of contention. And, and we don't want to like disfellowship over it. So just Well, and that opening other doors to other views it is perceived by many to be 
watering down the Bible, trying to get it to homogenize with science, which is not my concern at all. I don't. Science is always going to have to be secondary to what God's Word says, and I say that as a scientist myself. Mm. Uh, so it's not it, but I, I recognize and I appreciate the sincerity of those who recognize that we need to stay with God's Word, no matter how much it may look against the appearances of the common thinking today. And I appreciate your view, and I understand it. I just should say that while I, I recognize your your motives and your reasons for that, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be constrained we by responding burning, to well we shouldn't stuff the left on our well we shouldn't be constrained by what scientists to dictate our faith yeah whether, whether whether what we believe is in line with what they happen to believe at this particular point or not should be irrelevant to us we continue on with what we think the Lord shows us and I know that's they the do whole, their thing you know that's an interesting that's an interesting comment you made because so often I find ourselves responding against yeah, reactive yeah reactive yeah. against what the text really says about things and what we believe and we try and we sort of buy into their argument by responding in a way that is against another issue. Yeah. You know, uh, and creationism can sometimes be that way. Well, if I could say one other point, too. That to, to me, the, the bigger thing to circle the wagons around us is the whole idea of evolution and about man coming from something else. And I think it's very clear in Scripture that God created man and woman in his image, mm-hmm. created them a certain way, and it seems like... Almost immediately after creating him, breathing the life into him, an intelligent being came forward that was naming animals, communing with God, mm-hmm. uh, doing all these other kind of things. I don't see a picture of a caveman that's grunting. I see a very sophisticated, available, you know, that was created just exactly the way God made him and immediately had fellowship with God, mm-hmm. which has a real problem with this gradual conversion from a fish to a human. Boy, so no if that kidding. if that makes people feel a little better... To me, that's where the real crux of the argument is, is the fact that mankind would come from some other primitive being through gradually to some other state. I think mm. that I can't see how that harmonizes with Scripture. Maybe I wasn't imaginative enough, but that is that is the bigger key than the age of the earth. That's the one that, that I think is key for us to understand mm-hmm. because whether we're creating God's image or not has everything to do with our destiny, our future, who we are, mm-hmm. our humanity. It even affects politics. It affects tyranny, whether whether, you know... People who don't believe people are creating God's image have no problem pushing people into ovens because yeah. we're just a fluke mistake of we're nature. Just a, we're random, randomized. And that's where that's where Christianity needs to stand fast mm-hmm. is to avoid that seduction. We're back to what we were talking about uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago in the news about God standing for justice and mercy and all that stuff. Yeah, it's uh, hard to stand for justice and mercy if you're a randomized glob of amino acids and protein. That's right. And that's what Marx and other people believe. And for those in your audience that we love, that who stand fast to 24-hour days, six days, mm-hmm. I will say myself, I hey, have no problem with that's what happened. Yeah, we're brothers. That's, we're brothers well, and, and I have no problem with that's what happened. I mean, it could 24-hour days, cool. Yeah. You know, that's fine. Whether Whatever science says is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's just, just how God chose to do it is mm-hmm. really all that matters. Okay. Um... The realm of angels. Nothing, and we get out of that controversy hole. Yeah, now that we've aren't you really, glad we don't get paid to do this? Oh my gosh! You know those ministries where you know they have a big impact on income that comes in and this and that. Well, they must be in a real bind. Well, here's when they another. To, here's another pitfall. Uh, I think the fact that we don't get paid for this, and we both take scripture very seriously in this job very mm-hmm. seriously. Uh, indeed, as a ministry, uh, I think it frees us up to be able to freely speak our mind. 
uh, over and above outside of doctrinal concerns uh, and outside of monetary concerns. Somebody who says, well, look, I really feel like this, but my paycheck is attached to it. Yeah. I think I'm going to talk. I'm going to take the high road, the mm-hmm. easy road. Um, Particularly when they've got kids to raise, they've got college yeah. to pay for, they've got... All, and I, I've been in churches... Are you being faithful to God when you're doing that? Well, Is I've been in churches with pastors that have... They've been in the crucible. And, you know, this is like what we do, sort of like um, bivocational ministers and mm-hmm. pastors. They have a freedom to say whatever they feel mm-hmm. without a temptation to, yeah. you know, cut corners for their well-being. And I, for one, hope that is the wave of the future. Not that I don't believe that ministers should be paid for what they do. I think they earn it. I think Paul establishes that. Mm-hmm. I just mean for their freedom's sake. Sure. Where they don't feel tempted or seduced because we're entering an era now, if more than ever, that pastors and any teachers in the body need to speak freely, openly, and take even unpopular stands in the body. Because if we're entering an era of great deception, then truth will be unpopular. It's scary to think of, to think about things in those terms, especially when you see people who are un, who in, in an effort, in a well-meaning effort to stay unencumbered and true to the Lord, uh, decide that the best thing is to not prepare themselves for whatever the world yeah. will throw at them. You know, right. needing a job or, mm-hmm. you know, keeping your bills low or keeping them high or whatever it right, is, whatever right. you need to do, they just go like, well, I'm going to not make any considerations about what goes on. Naive. Yeah. And and uh, it's funny because, gosh, cans, we're, this is like the can of worm hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are some people, I feel... I.e. a normal future quick yeah, show. There are some people where God, I think, really calls them to walk in the spirit daily. Yeah. Um, but you mean not knowing where... Yeah, like, what their goods are for, yeah. for tomorrow. Am I going to have food tomorrow? Yeah. Well, right. no, God said that I need to do this, and so that's right. what I do. And then they wake up the next morning, and the door knocks. And it's like, yeah. hey, you want right. some donuts? Right. Uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've literally seen that happen. But on the other side, people use that, and I think this is, unfortunately, this is the larger mm-hmm. extent they use that as an excuse. Yeah. They go, well, I don't need to worry about stuff because the Lord's going to provide. And it's like, you know, holy hamburger helper. It almost becomes like tempting the Lord your God. A little bit. Because uh, you're saying, I'm going to set myself out there, whether it was God's call or at the time <clears> to do it or not, where he'd better catch me mm-hmm. you know, when I fall. Uh, they ignore the passages of the Bible about um, you know, being prudent, uh, looking to the future, preparing for it, and that is just as much scripture, too. Yeah. Uh, but we can't we can't point a finger at another person and say, you're, you're not what God called you to be, but we shouldn't judge other people when they pick the other position. Sure. No. Uh, well, and... It's it's interesting in that, like many things in the body of Christ, you've got like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and mm-hmm. like God's way. Uh, you've got people who are are uh, people who disfaith from God because they don't listen to God saying you need to go do this hard thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And you've got other people who disfaith from God by saying you need to go do this easy thing. You know, yeah. they, they're both. It's 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 the same. It's right. the same sin. Right. So anyway. So, in other words, we got our hands full with our own messes yep. without looking at somebody else. So, uh, we got to go. Merv, would you tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. 
Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. All right, bye. We just got a uh, small bit into this, but I think it was constructive and yeah. useful. And it, it gets pretty intense later on from this. So let's we're just, just go, Let's just up. fast forward right to Chapter 4. <laughs> we, we need to get our groundwork going. Mm-hmm. Uh, come back uh, for tomorrow's Tremors tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I, of course, am Tom, the effervescent one, Bionic. Haven't heard that in a while. You gotta, sometimes you got to go back to your roots. Been a long time since yep. we've heard that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you here at the end of the week again uh, after another uh, show this week, a compelling thought and mm-hmm. uh, challenges. And uh, Friday is always something special, and our friend Tom here always tells us what Friday signifies. So would you tell us what... It signifies where we track the kings of the earth trying to destroy the world. Okay. What about the great merchants of the earth? Them too. Revelation 18. And them too. Yeah. Or, as I like to call it, tomorrow's tremors or today's review of the future's news. Mm-hmm. Our news segment uh, that we normally have. I thought it was today's future review of the news. Nope. You say that every time and it's wrong every time. <laughs> but you're consistent in that. I'm here for you. Yeah. Well, it's been another week. They and they just tend to uh, clip off quickly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it's happens. Like we just did the last show, like it seemed like moments ago, and it's another week. Mm-hmm. Um, any new developments in Tom Bionic's life or spiritual um, walk or either? I, mm, tons of those, but that's not what the show is about. So okay, we'll just. In other words, you don't want to tell us. Or that. is it the listeners who don't want to know, or you just don't want me to know? Is well, that, I don't want the dog to know. You're okay. The dog, the you mean our okay, staff but, member, Pyro. But the kind of the silent third partner here. Yeah, the, I know you still don't trust Pyro. Yeah. For that, well, it's We're good to be here with you today, even though you, you do live a life of secrecy. Yep. Um, we're ready to start some news stories, unless you have anything else you want to mention. Um, we'll have already recorded our, our live show when this airs, right? Or no? No. No. Uh, no. Wait. Uh, mm, I don't believe so. All right. Well, then let me mention our upcoming live show. Uh, live call-in show. Mm-hmm. It will be rebroadcast as pre-recorded, but it is live. We'll we'll do some news mm-hmm. for a little while, and then we we'll take some calls. Let me correct what I just said. Okay. If people get the internet show early, early in the week, mm-hmm. they will have heard this in time. Mm-hmm. Our WNO listeners will have heard this a few days after it. Okay. So, sorry right. to clarify there. Well, there you go. Um, if you are one of those people, you can go to talkshoe.com, who is graciously. Uh, allowed us to to use their software and their website and everything to to do this. You go to talkshoe.com uh, and type in the call ID seven two three five three, which is Mighty Tom's community call. Uh, there'll be the good doctor and myself doing this thing. Called and we'll start out with some news, right? We'll start out with some news, um, <coughs> and then the lines will open up for people yep. who want to uh, add their two cents to what we're doing. There you go. Hopefully, in a constructive manner i've got an itchy trigger finger as far as the <laughs> mute button yeah i think our we have pretty classy listeners i, I look I forward so. to that this would be a, a unique experience mm-hmm. for particularly 
this era of our show to be able to have a live call-in op- opportunity. Yeah, it's really sort of a blast from the past, yeah. back when we were on Brand X. This must be like the going thing, because you you and I had planned this for a number of months, Yeah. and just a couple weeks ago, uh, PID Radio, all right, View from the Bunker and Peering mm-hmm. Darkness Radio, have, have, are now doing a Friday night call-in hmm. uh, on their show, too. Well, if we so, ever get tired great of, minds think alike, I, I was going to say, if we ever get tired of doing news, or um, we just get to the point where uh, the news gets too crazy and we need to take a break, we can just relax by taking random phone calls. Yeah, maybe they could tell us, do the homework for us. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's, uh, we'll have that up on the website uh, uh, at least a week prior to the uh, to the show, and hopefully before. We already know a number of people already said they're excited and looking forward to it mm-hmm. from the email. So, we'll, we'll see. It'll be another experiment. Like we were known to do, experiments in mass communications. Mm -hmm. Well, let's have some more experiments via review of the news. You have a story you'd like to begin with? Yeah, I do, actually. Okay, Um, lay it on us. The U.S. wins the right to abduct innocent people with impunity. They win the right? Yes. Was this like part of World Cup or something? Uh, Yeah, that's what what they were playing for this year. It wasn't a cup. It was a cup with handcuffs in the the cup. Uh, The Supreme Court today denied a petition of review by... Meher uh, Arar, the Canadian and Syrian citizen who was abducted by the U.S. government at a stopover at JFK Airport, when returning to Canada in 2002, held incommunicado for two weeks, and then rendered to Syria, where he spent the next ten months being tortured, even though, as everyone acknowledges, he was guilty of absolutely nothing. And that's, everybody says that. The government, he does, the Syrian government. That's not being questioned anymore by any Yeah, everybody says, yeah, he didn't do anything. Arar sued the U.S. government for what was done to him, and last November, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the dismissal of his lawsuit on the ground that courts have no right to interfere in these decisions of the executive branch. I thought there was a balance of powers. <clears throat> Apparently that not. That was the whole reason that they yeah. existed. Uh, there's so many things in this article that are totally, okay. you know, and that's just one of them, you know, the whole idea of balance of powers. Now, this may be somebody that we don't know, but next it could be us or one of our loved ones. Sure, of course, and okay. I think we've 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 had stories where people sort of telegraph that idea in more mm-hmm. detail. And if Christians don't get concerned about these kind of issues, who's going to? I feel like we should have a we should have like a, somebody reciting uh, Pastor Neiman Neemuller's, uh poem over and over mm-hmm. and over again about first they came for the communists, then they came for the right, you know, then they came and then they came for me, and there was nobody to stand up. Right. Um, Anyway, that was the decision which the U.S. Supreme Court let stand today, ending Arar's attempt to be compensated for what was done to him. Supreme Court. I've written in detail several times about Arar's case, including in November, when the appellate court upheld the dismissal, upheld dismissal of his lawsuit. And there's a hyperlink here. This is, came off Salon.com, so mm-hmm. it's you know internet source. See here for how the extreme treatment, how extremist treatment is bad. I, and I read over that stuff, and it was pretty bad. At the hands of the U.S. government, which was re- most responsible for his harrowing nightmare and then spent years fighting to deny him any remedy for what was done. I won't reiterate those points here, as everything I have to say about the Supreme Court's action today was said in that November post. But I do want to highlight one aspect of this episode. Just compare how the American and Canadian governments responded to what, to what everyone agrees was, her- was this horrific injustice. The Canadians, who co- cooperated with the U.S. in Arar's abduction conducted a sweeping investigation of what happened and then publicly issued a scathing report that faulted Canada and the United States for his deportation uh, four years ago to Syria, where he was imprisoned and tortured. 
and made clear he had done absolutely nothing wrong, then Canadian Prime Minister personally and publicly apologized to RRR and announced the Canadian government would compensate him with a payment of $8.5 million. Uh, by stark contrast, the U.S. government, which played a far more active role in his abduction and rendition to Syria, has never apologized to Arar, uh, though individual members of Congress have. Uh, it was never a clearly acknowledged. It has never clearly acknowledged wrongdoing. Um, the only time that this was even hinted at uh, was when Condoleezza, Condoleezza Rice called U.S. conduct in this case imperfect. Uh, Imperfect. And, and then generously added, we do not think this case has handles that it should have been. In fact, it continuously <laughs> did the opposite of providing accountability. In response to Arar's efforts to seek damages from the U.S. government, the U.S. raised, under two successive administrations, a slew of technical arguments to persuade American courts not to hear this case at all, including the argument that, that w what was done to Arar involved state secrets that prevented a judicial adjudication of his claims. The U.S. even continued to ban Arar from entering the U.S. long after it was acknowledged that he had done nothing wrong, thus preventing him for years from appearing before Congress or in the U.S. to talk about what was done to him. Indeed, after the Bush administration spent years arguing that the courts were barred from hearing Arar's case on the grounds of state secrets, quote-unquote, uh, the Obama administration embraced those same arguments and then urged the Supreme Court not to hear his appeal. As the Center for Constitutional Rights pointed out today, the Obama administration could have settled the case, recognizing the wrongs done to Mr. Arar as Canada has done, yet the Obama administration chose to come to the defense of the Bush administration officials, arguing that even if they conspired to send Mayor Arar to torture, they should not be held accountable by the judiciary. So congratulations to the U.S. for winning the right to wrongfully abduct people and send them to, to their torture with total impunity. Uh, what a ringing statement about our country's willingness to right the wrongs it commits and to provide access to our courts to those who whose lives we devastate with our behavior. Uh, Andrew Sullivan today referred to the cult of the inerrant leader. Uh, that is, the inability and refusal of our political class to acknowledge wrongdoing, apologize for it, or to be held accountable. The Mayor Arar case is a pathological illustration of that syndrome. Hmm. Very sad. You think about inerrant leaders, I think about our founding fathers and the people at that time who were so distrustful of their leadership that they set you know, all sorts of standards that were required for their leaders to be met. Mm -hmm. you know, sort of like the, in the Bible, it talks about Bereans. You know, the Bereans just didn't believe what a leader told them about the Bible, but they went and studied it themselves, and mm -hmm. it had to be found in Scripture, what the people were telling. Sure. And I don't know. It seems like to me... I don't see a whole lot of torturing going on in... The Old or New Testament, but I guess... Well, no, the one, all I'm saying is, is that the Bereans uh, just didn't take the word of their leaders for granted. They would go, oh, whatever the subject, I see. Yeah. they would go look at the Bible for it. But we've gotten so lazy, and people always get after me, or some, some people do the email that I pick on the church too delete, much. Delete, 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 but delete. The, but the, the fact is, the church should have a higher standard. Of of being tuned into this kind of, of stuff course. and injustice, read, particularly read the, if you read the read, Old Testament. Yeah, read the Old Testament prophets and God's God's heart. Yeah, there. Yeah, the whole idea is justice. He even threw down the. Um, uh, as the, Mike Heiser has pointed out, he even threw down the uh, the other the other beings there, the other other holy beings. Well, holy. Use that mm -hmm. in quotes. The other beings in in the midst of his council there. 
Uh, You're talking about Psalm 82? Psalm 82. Psalm 82, because of their injustice. Because, exactly. Because even in the heavenly, they would not big commit, deal. Yeah, they would not commit to justice. Right. And he sentenced them to so die. So that sounds like that's pretty important. Yeah, it? he sentenced them to die like men. Mm-hmm. Uh, divine right. beings, he said, you're going to die like men. And a lot of times I think we think in the church, in the evangelical church, that with our emphasis on evangelism and soul winning, which I think is critically important, sure. it's the main mission, uh, mission the Lord gave us, uh, that you set aside justice. It's either or. Sure. Which I don't think, unless you stand for justice, it's hard for people to hear your message a lot of times. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you mention that. Uh, I ran across David Wilkerson's uh, uh, sort of a abbreviated version of his testimony about how he really felt like the Lord had some calling for him and he was just fed up with not hearing it. So he said, mm-hmm. I'm going to sit in my study until the Lord tells me what to do. And then after sitting there for, I, don't, I can't remember how long, he saw this newspaper article about these boys being tried for mm-hmm. murder and went, that's what I got to go do. And he went there and, you know, stood up right. in the court and they threw him out. But uh, that whole thing made the front page of the paper and, and everybody, all of these gangs and the people that he ended up working with mm-hmm. subsequently saw that paper and went, that's a guy that stands for justice. And his intervention allowed him to share his faith mm-hmm. and then souls are one to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Because he was able to demonstrate he truly cared about them, but I think it's and, and a love that can only like come from God. Team, you know, and I, I, I mean that's all well and good, but what we need to do is build like a big team and sort of keep church inside our four walls. And, okay, you know. okay, Mister Facetious. Yeah, would you like a story Sarcasm for me? Sarcasm button. The 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 asking for it uh, activity will continue here with the story that I have. Okay, mm-hmm. this is another one that will get Doctor Future in trouble. This is from Haaretz, which is an Israeli newspaper, okay? Yeah. This is from Israel. Now, they aren't officially the Israeli Defense Force or the government. I'm sure they will read a lot of their press releases for them, but it is a separate newspaper, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, this just came out in Haaretz. Uh, the public has a right to know. Uh, and this is a, this is an editorial in Haaretz about the flotilla thing. It's still a discussion. Mm-hmm. Says the government's efforts to avoid a thorough and credible investigation of the flotilla affair seem more and more like a farce. The conclusions of an ostensible probe are intended to justify retroactively the decision to blockade Gaza, to forcibly stop the Turkish aid flotilla in international waters, and to use deadly force on the deck of the Mavi Mamara. To make the costume seem credible. Now remember, this is coming from Israeli people, okay? Yeah. To make the costume seem credible, the Prime Minister's Bureau ask a retired Supreme Court Justice, Yaakov Turkel, to chair the committee. Alongside him will set foreign observers in order to legitimize the conclusions in international public opinion. Now, originally they fought hard to eliminate that. They did not want anybody outside of the Israeli government on this board. So this was just a recent concession Okay, to, to look over and see the data. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu even pledged to testify before the committee, together with Defense Minister Ehud Barak, other ministers, and chief of staff, so, quote, the truth will come out, unquote. The truth that Netanyahu wishes to bring out involves the identity of the flotilla's organizers, its sources of funding, and knives and rods that were brought aboard. He does not intend to probe the decision-making process that proceeded to take over the ship and the shortcomings that were uncovered. As far as Netanyahu is concerned... It will be enough for television channels to broadcast footage of dark-suited jurists and politicians addressing them to present the semblance of an, quote, examination. But Netanyahu's panel will have no powers, not even those of a government probe, and its proposed chairman does not believe in such a panel. 
In an interview to Army Radio, Turkle said there was no choice but to establish a state committee of inquiry. He opposed bringing in foreign observers. This is the guy who heads the committee. Hmm. Did not want foreign people looking in on the data. And made clear that he is not a devotee of drawing conclusions about individuals and dismissing those responsible for failures. When a Haaretz reporter confronted Turkle about these remarks, the former justice evaded the question saying, I don't remember what I said. The disagreements had erupted at last uh, at the week's end between Netanyahu and his deputy, Strategic Affairs uh, Minister Moshe Yalan, over the question of whether Yalan was uh, updated in time about the action, underscored the suspicion of serious faults in the decision-making process with regard to the flotilla. Instead of being part of the whitewash, Turkle, whose dodging of his earlier statements does him no honor, should return his mandate to the Prime Minister and demand that Netanyahu establish a government committee of inquiry with real powers. The public, as Netanyahu said, has a right to know the truth. So I read that just for the point that we we often see things in America as a duality of it's us or them. It's one, and I don't know if that comes out of the Cold War or what, mm. but um, you see this back and forth, back and forth of, of information. And if it doesn't agree with your side, then you must be bad people that gave you that information or back and forth. But the point is, is that within Israel, they do not have a consensus on whether this is wise activity. Well, to be if I going recall, on. a lot of the uh, the some of the consensus polls, the census polls have shown that 60 to 70 percent of the Israelis think that they handled that in, improperly. Well, and all of those people cannot be Islamic terrorists. Not every you one of those know. people. It's just a massive. They're all over there in the factory, twenty hours a day. Making, I'm not saying whether they making uh, big crescents. I'm not saying it's right or wrong what they did. Okay, that's not what I'm trying to say. But the the evangelical response is always so homogeneous. They'll read a report from the IDF. They'll read a report mm-hmm. from the Israeli government, and that's just as foolish as reading things only from the Obama administration and our military to say we know exactly what's going on in any other part of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, we recognize now that that's foolhardy to say that's the final word on what's really going on in the some world. Some people do. Some well, people some don't. people don't. But we do that, you know, in other places like this, and it's because, well, those people sound like what I believe, therefore I support it, and the other people yeah. must be bad people. And hopefully one day we'll grow out of that. It's interesting to see that uh, both in, in political stuff and in uh, religiosity, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, people no longer really understand what they believe or why they believe it. They just associate themselves with a group or a faction and go, all of these people think like this. So I'm going to think like that. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. That is, that and, is. You know, Christians, that's shameful. Oh, and I'm terrible. not saying I'm immune to it. I mean, I, I fall in that too. I don't question myself enough and say, wait a minute. Why did I automatically assume that's well? That's not, I don't know. <laughs> that's but, but I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that's that should be normal. We should be, you know, picking up sides and teams. And that's why I wonder if it has something to do with a you know several generations, the Cold War, drinking the whole, fluoride, the, the whole thing about well, there's two uh-huh. teams. There's the bad people and the good people. And you know, Christians can really fall into that when we think of the the duality of evil and good. And that there's the work of Satan and the work of God. And so then we take human activity and want to force it into that same template. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you can read the Old Testament through the eyes of the idea that it's a big turf war, galactic turf war going on. God and Israel on one side and 
everybody who wants to God's enemies yeah. and Israel's enemies on the other. Uh, but but in, that would put America on the other side if that was the case. Well, yeah, but that, that whole thing gets changed in the New Testament. John the Baptist comes, and he comes in the spirit and power of Elijah if you're willing to accept him, right? Yeah. I mean, those are, that's yeah. what Jesus said. And uh, the whole kingdom becomes spiritual based and contingent on your own free will of entering it. Uh, and vis-a-vis, there is not necessarily national boundaries like there are. Uh, and there's also the idea of you have to get... You you have to understand. You you have to give of your free will to be in this kingdom, uh, and because of that, God actually raises these people up higher than the people that He threw down in Psalm 82, mm-hmm. uh, uh, as you know, terrain as co-heirs and that sort of you know. Language. Well, and it'd be a good example for all of us. A good good I think uh, set of advice to go back and read the Book of Romans and meditate on it. Mm-hmm. It's it almost it takes a number of reads. You know, in, in meditation yeah. to think about what Paul is trying to show about it's funny how each phase of what God has revealed is part of a bigger, bigger plan. It's funny that so many of the commentators that I read uh, who speak about Romans 2, where they uh, they gave themselves over to, you know, all the wrongdoing because of um, because they were sacrificing to idols and all this stuff while Moses was up mm-hmm. on the mountain. They gave themselves over to all of this bad stuff. Uh, the way the text reads that I, from where I see it is that. It was a natural outcome. Like they did all of this bad stuff, and so all of this bad stuff entered their sort of this small society while Moses mm-hmm. was gone. And the other thing is, is that so often commentators, well, they miss that, but they also miss the fact that uh, they say, well, they were godless. They weren't godless. They were worshiping the wrong god. Mm-hmm. And so many people miss that. Uh, Paul goes on in that in that verse, I believe, to make the point where he says that. Uh, uh, he says sort of cryptically that they didn't allow, they didn't, they didn't thank God for all of their blessings and mm-hmm. all of the stuff that they did. Instead, that they sort of relied on them on their own selves. Uh, mm-hmm. And you go out and ask an average American on the street, even a Christian, mm-hmm. I would imagine, they would say, "Well, who's most responsible for your well-being?" And they would go, mm-hmm. "Well, I just thank my family, or I just thank mm-hmm. yeah. the government, or you know, right. very little, very little talk about. Well, I thank God for putting me where I am." And you you take somebody outside of our neat little box of where he falls in the economy of God's good and bad guys, somebody like Cornelius, who was at the time not a Jew or a bona fide Christian, but yet he gave thanks to God. Mm-hmm. He gave thanks to God, gave to the poor, mm-hmm. and he was highly regarded in heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, and it says that his alms were a memorial before God; they came up before God. Yeah, I've always found that interesting. So, you know, I think we should be very, very careful like that, looking at things. And, and this whole duality kind of thing that I mentioned, you know, about the the Cold War and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Obviously, that applies in our our own political system. Be, you know, we, we choose sides. Like all those people of that party are all bad, one hundred percent. We're all good. We don't have any issues. They have all issues. Mm-hmm. And so when we fall ourselves into that kind of thing, and I, just something I'd like to, I don't know, see what your thought is of this, but this is a thought I have uh, hit me the other day. Mm-hmm. Anytime we set any object in our life above critique, further critique, it has become an object of worship. That's interesting. That is a definition when it no longer needs to be critiqued anymore. Uh, it's beyond that. It has become an object of worship, and as we know, that's interesting. God is a jealous God, and and any worship outside of Him is idolatry. Well, putting something up so high that you can no longer criticize it certainly has a lot of kin with the idea of sinless perfection. You know, uh, so yeah. I would say just based on, 
you know, thinking about it for a whopping 10 seconds. That's a yeah. very interesting interesting point, and I think really it probably deserves further further study. And, and, and I'm not speaking about anybody out there in particular. I think that applies to all of us. But anytime we set a political party, anytime we set a foreign government, mm-hmm. anytime we set anything that we have where there's no room anymore to critique it anymore, mm-hmm. then it has become our object of worship and adoration. You know, yeah, that's. I think that's. There's a lot to that. One of the interesting things that uh, Chuck Missler said that I heard one time that I really agreed with was the, was the idea that he said, "God doesn't want to be first on your list. He wants to be first. He wants to be on a list of one, and everything else on another list." Yeah. And that's exactly. Yeah. And that's exactly. That's that's a very damning um, uh-huh. uh, indictment. But I think it's very true that a lot of us tend to put God. One or two or three on yeah. the list, but not on another list. Yeah, and I know we're, get, we're getting into our show, mm-hmm. but I just want people to think about that. Think about you picking your own life, what you set up that you no longer critique. It could be your denomination. It could mm-hmm. be your, your religious denomination. Hopefully it's not future quick. It could be, you know. I don't need to worry about that. I've seen the emails. Well, I cert- <laughs> yeah. A certain... Uh, Doctrinal interpretation, mm-hmm. okay. I'm not talking about the Bible per se, but I'm talking about a, you know anything like mm-hmm. this that is not worthy of further critique. It has supplanted God, I would mm-hmm. propose, in a, in a place that only God deserves uniquely, mm-hmm. is to be uh, be beyond further critique. It's interesting, very salient point. And uh, any time we get so defensive with other people that they dare touch the third rail, um, we have to say, what did I set this up to be to begin with? Yeah, you know, except for. Jesus Christ himself. Yep. You know? He and, and he he sort of set himself up as the third rail. He said, like, you're gonna touch me, it's gonna be well gonna be a big dividing line. He you know, he bought us, you know. If yep. we're willing to accept his redemption, so I guess mm-hmm. he has a right to do that. Sure. So sure. but he is a jealous God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have any other uh stories? Uh how much time do we have? We've got about a minute. All right. Minute fifteen. Oh perfect. I had six stories ready, and I got I had, the one. Yeah, I had like five really good stories, and I, I, I thought, well, maybe I'll do this like tiny one here yeah. real quick. Bilderberg Group now has a website. <laughs> okay. This would be The Guardian. An extraordinary thing happened last weekend. The world's most secretive strategy group, Bilderberg, uh, poked its nose out of the shadows and launched its own website, BilderbergMeetings.org. For an organization that prefers to cordon the press a mile Wait a minute. The All the mainstream media says they don't exist. That's some nutty conspiracy theory. Yeah. How could they have a website if they don't exist? I don't know. There must be something going on with something because the media doesn't lie or change or become corrupt or do bad things or tell us untruths. Yeah, it was just crazy people. people higher than them paying their salaries. Yeah. Did I say all that? Just crazy people like this saying this stuff. Yeah. Except they got a website. Yeah. Yeah. Mockingbird. Operation Mockingbird, whose present press relations policy, uh, whose press relations policy to date has been to arrest, harass, and search journalists. This was an astounding turnaround. Obviously, no longer able to deny its existence, Bilderberg has shifted gear. The story they're putting out now is that nothing goes on, just some old chaps having a chinwag. Mm-hmm. Old insignificant chaps like Jose Zapatero, the Spanish Prime Minister, Peter Vosser, CEO of Royal Dutch Shell. Paul Volcker, chairman of Obama's Economic Advisory Board, Richard Holbrook, Obama's special envoy to Afghanistan and Pakistan, Joseph Ackerman, CEO of Deutsche Bank, uh, Peter Sutherland, who is both the chairman of BP and Goldman Sachs. We're going to have to go. Okay, done. I'm sorry. Uh, hopefully they'll put a link to Future Quake on that website, I'm hoping. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a time where it's, it's a victory that now they're exposed for who they are and mm-hmm. a real, what's scary is they think they can come out in the open and, uh, you yeah. know, this, th- this adds more danger too. Yeah. Somebody else dangerous is Murph who can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. we got to go. Let's get out of here. Come back next week for another great guest. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Alvita Zane. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake.